I'm Amber Brooks, a defender for the OL Reign, and I'm listening to the Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. All right. Welcome to the 75th episode of the Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. We've got a lot of stuff to go through, so I'm not going to start with any funny introductions. Uh, we've got Bennett and Omari here to go through this entire giant, uh, I don't even know what to call it, gigantic uh, segment of a podcast uh, episode this week. So let's get right into it. We have our Seahawks season record preview. Um, we're going to go week by week, the win-loss. Uh, we've got seeding. We've got some uh, player awards. So let's just get into it. Week one at the Indianapolis Colts. We're going to start with Bennett. It's going to go Amari, and then it's going to go me. Bennett, uh, what is your result here in week one against the Colts? If you listen to one of our off-season episodes, uh, one of the earlier ones right after the season ended, you know how much I hate Carson Wentz. Um, So I say we win against the Colts. Um, Listen. They have a good offense. They do. They have a strong offensive line, and they could have a very strong running game if they get their running back situation sorted out. But their defense is middling, and I don't think Carson Wentz is a good enough leader to beat the Seahawks' revitalized defense and our revitalized offense. So I think we start off the year right with a win. All right. Omari. Um, no, I definitely have to agree. Uh, basically, everything Bennett said, I just, I just think the Seahawks are better. Simply put, I, I just don't see the – I don't see them coming together at this point in the season with uh, all the changes they made to be able to beat the Seahawks pretty much. Plus, I feel like we always start off the season pretty strong. I don't know what Seahawks you watch. <laughs> <laughs> we, went like, we went like 4-0 last year. I mean, in in other years, they'll they'll start up and mess ah, up. I got they'll short get, they'll get snagged with like a one of the Rams games. Look at oh yeah, throw a, one of the Rams games anyway. We got a lot of stuff to go through. Um, this you know how Bennett last year we would go through trap games. Ah, I had this as a trap game. I see this is the last time the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl, and that's not necessarily an indication of anything. <laughs> uh, the last time the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl and won it, at least it's only been one time. Uh, the team did lose Indianapolis early on in the season down in Indianapolis, and I don't know the last time that they actually beat the Colts uh, in their home uh, venue. So, uh, starting the season off 0 1. So, that is where I differentiate from you guys. Uh, week two versus the Titans. Uh, Titans newly acquired Julio Jones in that offense with Jones. Uh, uh, oh, oh hold shoot. On. Oh, God. I didn't even think about that. I got to reassess. Oh, no. You didn't Uh-oh. account for the fact that they had Julio Jones? I uh, kind of forgot about that. That's but... crazy. That's the reason why I have them losing in week two to the Titans. But I feel like we're not going to be prepared for that uh, their wide receiver core. Let um, me reassess some things. <laughs> Let me reassess some things. Don't, don't, ah, we can start with me. All right. Um, I, you know what? I'm gonna hold by my guns. I'm gonna still. I'm gonna hold this as a win. Um, I think if we run the momentum from the last game, I think I think the Colts. Can, we could. It could be like. Uh, it could be a statement win right off the bat, kind of like what we have with Atlanta, hmm. uh, but with the defense actually showing up. Um, I think that if we keep a high octane offense, we can manage to outgun them i'm not saying this will be a shutout win i'm not saying that we'll storm their barn and just work them 
I'm saying this will be like when we played the Texans back in 2017 and you had two good quarterbacks with good receiving cores going up against middling defenses. Um, that being said, the Titans have a good defense. Uh, if we can take Derrick Henry out of the equation, which I think we can mitigate some of him, not all of him, because he is the best running back probably in the league. If we can shut him down a little bit, I think we can keep up and maybe sneak out a win. So that's why I have this marked as a win. It'll be a true grit win, but a win nonetheless. Omari? See, I don't think our secondary is going to be ready by that point in the season. It's only week two. So I don't really see them be able to handle that. uh, I don't think we're going to be able to handle all that. That's a lot to handle right there with the Titans. I feel like the... I'm acquiring Julio today was or yesterday, whatever it was. I think that was a, I think that was a really crucial thing for them, and I don't know if we're gonna be able to handle that at all. You know, mm. especially because there also it's like Derrick Henry, you know. So you're like you got two options, you know, on what you can do. Like one of them is gonna be a threat, you know. Normally you see teams that got like one thing that's stronger than the other, but I feel like. For the Titans, both those things are really lethal. So, and I don't think we're going to be able to fully stop either. So, yeah. I'm, uh, I, I had the Colts game as a loss. I have, I do have this game as a win. Um, see, my thing was with a lot of these, you know, different, um, big name acquisitions with teams, it, you know, they don't always start off hit, hitting the ground running. So I'm not exactly sure in week two uh, how integrated Julio Jones is into this offense. Obviously, you know, we've got however many months before uh, training camp, let alone the actual start of the season. So there's plenty of time for that to happen. But game speed is a whole different thing than practice speed. So um, with that being said, taking into account Derrick Henry, um, I'm, I don't know. I have a lot more faith in this defense after um, – adding some defensive ends, which we needed last year um, and playing a lot better in the second half of the season. I, I feel like I feel more confident, um, you know, taking into account uh, everything. And this is going to be the first game back uh, since 2019, where we get uh, supposed to be a full capacity stadium uh, in now Lumen field. So I don't know. I have this game as a win uh, first game, first one of the season. Um, then we go, we go from Indianapolis on the road to the Titans at home and then back on the road in week three against the Vikings who didn't necessarily change up too much. Um, but it's, it's the first time that we'll play the Vikings in their new home stadium in the regular season. Um, and I mean, we've been playing the Vikings uh, like every other year. Yeah. So uh, Bennett uh, in Minnesota, what are your thoughts? The Vikings are a less good Titans. That's just what they are. Um, They have a middle QB. Great running back. But they have no defense. They were one of the worst defenses in the league last year. Um, And let's be real, Dalvin Cook isn't Derrick Henry. They're similar in terms of statistics and in terms of how much they can dominate a game. But in terms of field presence... You can watch Dalvin Cook, or you can watch uh, Derrick Henry manhandle Carlos Dunlap, and you'll go, yeah, that, that's about right. 
Dalvin Cook's not going to do that. Dalvin Cook is a speed back, and we got speedy blitzers. We have speedy edge rushers. I think we're still pretty much built to be Viking killers, and I I don't see that changing this year. Because like you said, Mm. nothing really has changed on their end. A lot of positives on our end. We didn't lose any huge players aside from Shaquille Griffin. And at the end of the day, I mean, we kind of upgraded. So, And at a lower price. And at a lower price and with somebody who is looking to prove themselves in our system. Now, that's not to say, if we lose KJ Wright, a lot of this season looks different. But Cody Barton, bro. Cody as Barton. of right now, uh, I'd much rather see Ben Burkirvan. As of right now, this is a win. Omari, your thoughts seem to be different from Bennett's. Why is that? Oh, no, I fully agree. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see like the phrase uh, Viking killers. I like that. Oh, <laughs> I got you. Okay. But uh, yeah, no, I definitely have the Seahawks uh, winning this one in week three. Yeah, no, it's uh, playing the Vikings is getting a little bit annoying. I agree. Having to see them every year and having to see Kirk Cousins and do you like that or what? What else does he? See? Oh, I think that yeah, you like uh, he that. Goes, Woo! Yeah, he does that too. And then he tried to do the gritty. That was kind of. Uh, but no, I don't disagree with you guys here. I have this as a win. I just you know it's cool that they have Dalvin Cook. Uh, it's it's fine that they signed. Uh, I almost said Adrian Peterson, uh, Patrick Peterson. But uh, at the end of the day, this is a team that. I don't know. I just feel like they're kind of middle of the road. Um, staying on the road here, the team travels down to Santa Clara to play the 49ers in the first divisional contest of the year. This is interesting just because the 49ers dealt with a lot of injuries last year. They draft uh, Trey Lance. Um, trying to think. I feel like I'm missing some, pe- some pieces here, but uh, just to get to the point, just because we've got a lot to go through, uh, Bennett, what are you thinking about the first divisional matchup here against the 49ers? So, okay, they got a rookie, untested, and unproven QB. Uh, Trey Lance, I mean, he's talented as all get out. Um, I just don't see him as much as, as much of a threat as you, you'd see other rookie quarterbacks from this draft. Um I'm not saying it was a weird pick. I think it was a good pick for the Niners in the in the long run. But right off the bat, week four, if we get Garoppolo, I'm not scared. If we get Lance, I'm not scared. And I, I just don't see how sustainable the running game is either. Now, this is all to say the uh, Niners we saw last year, very different than the Niners we're going to see this year. I think it's a crapshoot, but I don't think they get the better of us this week. Uh, I, I'm going to give the dub to the Seahawks and I know I'm going four and in the first four weeks, but we'll get to my losses. Uh, Mari. Um, I have the momentum from, uh, them beating the Vikings carrying over into this week. And I see them actually beating the 49ers. I think at this point in the season, I think the Seahawks will be at a point where they're actually more comfortable with however they're going to be playing. I agree. And I think the 49ers are someone that we see um, every year, at least twice. So I feel like <laughs> when it comes to this game, they're going to be prepared and they're going to be ready because it's, I don't know, it doesn't seem much different from the team that they faced two years ago. 
You got a good point. Uh, the 49ers, like, like Omari said, you know, usually when you play football in the NFL, a lot of times when you draft certain guys, you're drafting to beat the teams in your division in order to, you know, I mean, if you have a losing record in your division, you're more than likely not making it to the playoffs. If you do, I, I don't know how you did it, you know, but um, oh, well, you're in the NFC. East. Oh, wait, I will yeah, say this. I do see us losing if we underestimate them, though, which we have a habit of doing. Yeah, they do. They do. Uh, there's it's funny that we have quirks for this team, you know. So, as long as they don't be stupid and underestimate them, I feel like we should be fine. But to, to continue, uh, we've been how many four years into the Shanahan experience experiment here? Uh, they've got like like Bennett said with the quarterbacks. I'm not necessarily worried about either. I mean, I might be underestimating Trey Lance, but Jimmy Garoppolo is Jimmy Garbage for a reason. Um, the running backs is kind of a who's who. I mean, Raheem Mostert went healthy uh, in their Super Bowl season with somebody that produced and was a a guy that produced on the off uh, the receiving end and the the rushing end, but hasn't been able to stay healthy. A lot of that running room has running back room hasn't been able to stay healthy. The wide receivers, I'd hope by now that we understand what they do. They're guys that get the ball, whether it's behind the line of scrimmage or in space, and they just – they're not going to necessarily be guys that are going to uh, moss you. These aren't big-bodied guys. They're guys that want to get the ball in space and get yards after catch or just get them the ball in open space. Um, defensively, um, I am happy with Gabe Jackson – uh, Brandon Shell. I mean, if you could sign a Morgan Moses, I wouldn't be mad at that. Uh, but Dwayne Brown is Dwayne Brown, unless something changes there. Uh, Gabe Jackson, Ethan Pochich. I'm kind of worried about that. Um, my point is, though, this Niners D-line, they consistently have a good D-line. Um, True. Not necessarily worried about that. Cornerbacks, they could add a familiar face again. They could re-sign somebody. But, I mean, Jason Verrett's fine. Um, I don't know. I'm not looking at the 49ers this year as somebody to, you know, shaking my boots over. So this is a win here. Um, so we go from a two-game road trip, come back home to play the L.A. Rams and their new quarterback, Matthew Stafford, in a second divisional game of this, uh, the year. This is going to be interesting, just because considering all the hype that's around the Rams and um, a lot of hype around the NFC West in general. But, um, Bennett, what are we looking at here uh, in this is this home game against the Rams in week five? In uh, my opinion, okay, well, um, I think they're a sneaky good team. I think even with the hype, they're sneaky good. Because I think they're going to be really good in ways that you're not expecting them to be good. I think Matt Stafford's going to really open up the running game in a way that Jared Goff did not. You know what I mean? Like, one of the best ways to have a good running game is to have a passing game that the other teams are afraid of. And that's why you saw Gurley's later years in the uh, Rams system to be a little stagnant uh, in a lot of ways. And that's why you saw Malcolm Brown. I mean, he broke out in a, in a decently big way. But you didn't see him really reach potential that you saw was possible. Mm. So I think, you know... With Matthew Stafford coming in here, they have a really threatening passing game all of a sudden. They have good wide receivers with Robert Woods <laughs> and Cooper Cup. Um, and all of a sudden, that makes you go, well, we're not going to shove it down our throats each minute. 
Maybe we should start dropping back to cover. Uh-oh, now Malcolm Brown's got punching us. To have such a reliable dual threat offense, I think we'll take the Rams far this year. And I think they're going to hand us uh, the first loss of the season. I would not doubt that. Omari. Uh, I also have them losing here, but I think it's more of uh, I see the Seahawks underestimating them. I, I just see them taking that L raid here. I don't think they're going to be prepared for the change in this gameplay they're going to see from the Rams this season just due to the fact that they have a new quarterback. I think they're going to be too comfortable playing the Rams and not really seeing them much as a threat. And I think they're going to hurt because of that decision. Now I'm in, I'm intrigued because of this. Um, I have to tell you, I'm really not too scared of Matthew Stafford. I know he, I, I like him better than I like golf in that offense. Right. Goff, goof. He's, uh, I never liked him. Uh, even dating back to his days at Cal. Um, but at home, uh, you know, after, you know, coming off that playoff loss against the Rams, I think that, uh, I'm going to go against Will Murray says I'm thinking this is a game that the Seahawks might be looking at as sort of revenge in some way. Obviously, it's kind of hard to have revenge games when you play in the division against the team. You know what I mean? Just because you see him every year, twice a year. Um, but I think this is a game that he might come into a little extra motivated. Um, and I I have this chalked as a win. And I have him chalked at four and one uh, at the end of week five. Um, but then they head back on the road uh, week six at the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm intrigued by this, um, but we'll get into it. Bennett, your thoughts on uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, down in Heinz Field. So Amari said something really interesting. Amari said that, uh, you know, around week four, that's when a team starts to find its uh, comfort with their identity. I think that's a bad thing for the Seahawks. Every time we've gotten comfortable with the identity of our team, we have floundered and kind of had some real blunder games. I think coming off the Rams loss, we're either going to over-adjust or stick to our guns of whatever we did against them. And Pittsburgh is another one of those teams that, um, I mean, they'll beat you if you let them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, there are certain teams that you'll beat, they'll beat you if you do bad. The Steelers are, they'll beat you if you do not play to their level. Uh, they got a good QB. I'll say Big Ben is still good. I'm not going to say he's one of the greats because, I, I mean, if you think he's up there with, like, Manning and Brady, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, solid defense. Uh, really, our only opportunity to win here, in my opinion, is if Russ is really, like, lighting it up in the passing game. Uh, I don't see... Chris Carson having a huge impact in this game. I see DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Dwayne Eskridge potentially having their marks on this game if we win. Um, if Pittsburgh shuts down our passing even a little bit in like the first quarter, I think we start to look a little like how we looked in the second half. Then again, new OC, so we'll see. So but, do you have uh, this as a win or a loss? And this is a loss. That was my final thought. I think it just really depends on how well the Seahawks are going to play. I'm not really looking at the Vikings, or I'm not really looking at the Steelers' quality. I'm more so looking at ours. Omari. 
I actually fully agree with everything Benet just said. Very rare, very rare. But yeah, I feel like it's really going to come down to how well the Seahawks play and adjust to the explosiveness that you can see from the Steelers. You know. So you have this chalked up as a loss as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, I had this as a loss. Uh, I think that you know it was really nice to go into Pittsburgh the other year and beat them. Um. Uh, I don't know. A lot of my predictions hinge on really seeing a philosophy change with this team. I know that's probably going to be difficult to see, or that might not be something that we see considering who Pete Carroll is and how he sticks to his guns all the time. Uh, But I don't know, just with the way that the off season has gone with obviously the addition of Waldron and Russell, doing Russell things. Um, I don't know. I think that we might see something different here. Um, but uh, on this on this road game, I think that the Steelers might be, you know, at least uh, if we're looking at it my way, coming off a good win against the Rams, I think this might be a, a little bit of a difficult thing to come into Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers, um, who I'm sure look to be better after having a difficult end of their season. Um, so we come back home to play the Saints in week seven. Saints are kind of a wild card as Ben and I, well, not even Ben and I, as we all kind of were talking about uh, before this. So speaking of Bennett, we will hand it over to Bennett to see his thoughts on the week seven matchup versus the New Orleans Saints. So right off the bat, I'll say this is a win, uh, but I want to explain that I think that the Saints are in a very weird position in terms of if they are restructuring or if they are contending. Mm. Um, their quarterback situation is the biggest question mark. Jameis or uh, other guy, uh, the Mormon fella. What is his name? Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill. Like He's Mormon? He went to BYU, I think. Uh, Oh, that would make a lot of sense. Between the two of them, I don't really know who I want to see more. I don't really know who they want to see more. I can tell you that, like, on paper, I'd like to see Taysom Hill, but he's the exact type of person who can rip the Seahawks apart because they just don't pay attention sometimes. Um, But if we play fundamental football and we play – like just nose to the ground, uh, nose to the grindstone football, and I'm gonna say it: if we establish the run, okay, Pete Carroll, we establish the run against the Saints. There's no, they don't have a snowball's chance in hell to beat us. Uh, they're too out of sorts. They're too chaotic uh, in terms of roster, um, and I don't think they have the offensive moxie to score on us a whole bunch of time. I don't think they'll have punches in bunches. So if we can have grindstone, just nice well-executed football will beat them omari how do you feel uh about this game whether it's differentiating from bennett's thoughts or agreeing with bennett sorry i'm just wondering where bennett gets his phrases from he said not a snowball's chance in hell it sounds like he's taking lessons from pete carroll or something (laughs) but uh carroll school of football this is like it's the Saints. Like all the new quarterback teams are the ones that I'm not fairly confident in, but especially this one. So yeah. like my choices, because I'm a, I have the Seahawks beating them, but again, there's like so much unknown 
to this team right now, like how they're going to like change with a new quarterback. I mean, I know Alvin Kamara is still going to be good. So that's what I really thought about the most when thinking about this. And I don't think he's going to be able to fully like get off like how he can against other teams against the Seahawks this season. I, I just, I want to comment on that though. Like this is going to be what week six, seven, seven, it, within an extended season and within a team that is somewhat rebuilding, I think the saints could also still be exploring their identity as a team without drew Brees at this point. Yep. Uh, I don't think Sean Payton has it down pat quite yet. And I don't think he will throughout the off season. I don't think he will through the first half of the season. So I think that is also something to make note of where they might not default to Alvin Kamara like they would if Drew Brees was benched. They might uh, try different things. They might be a he- like a, it, it, they're going to be a fun team to watch because they're going to be highly experimental. Uh, this is she uh, to take all of what Bennett's and Omari have said and discussed is very interesting to me just because. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they haven't stepped out and said who their starter is, right? Not yet. Um, and I, 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 I have no confidence whatsoever in Taysom Hill being a starting quarterback in the NFL and a successful one at that. So if he does, come in here and prove me wrong. That's fine. But taking into consideration, I think the only way that we lose this game is if uh, a, Jam- a Jameis Winston who is competent and minimizes turnovers comes in and plays this football team, then I might see a loss just because if you get a Jameis Winston, who's focused and who minimizes turnovers, which is something he hasn't done in the NFL, then we could lose this game. Cause you put a competent quarterback that can throw the football uh, with a guy like Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas um, with that defense, then yeah, I see a loss, but you know, with that big giant question mark, uh, at quarterback right now and not necessarily like Bennett said, not knowing your identity and not knowing necessarily what you're going to do post Drew Brees. I don't, this, you know, the saints for years and years have been a, a, a staple in competitive NFC football right now. I don't know what to tell you about them. So um, I had this as a win long story short. I had this as a five uh, as a win uh, going to five and two Um the next game is interesting. Uh, week eight versus the Jaguars playing uh, newly number one overall draft pick Trevor Lawrence and his long blonde locks and God forbid Tim Tebow. Um, speaking of God, uh, Tim Tebow, that's funny. Um, Bennett, I, mm, I don't think any of us really think this game is as interesting as I kind of chalked it up to be. Yeah, I only I said it was interesting just because of Trevor Lawrence and Tim Tebow and the fact that they're on the same team right now is interesting to me, but uh, I think, I think your talk might be quick here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I just, it's, it's going to be a bummer to see the Seahawks get beat so bad. Um, like 45 to eight, it's going to be hard to watch. So I, 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 I might turn this one off in the first quarter. Oh, I see. I got the names mixed up. Hold on. Yeah, it's going to be a shame same to see the Jaguars get beat so bad. Uh, 45 to 8. I'm going to turn it off after the first quarter. Um, <laughs> no, the Jags are going to be just crap next year. And they're not, I don't know, one player cannot build a team. Uh, contrary to what all these Unless Jaguars Trevor Lawrence can play defense. 
Yeah, contrary to what all these Tampa Bay uh, play, uh, fans are saying about Brady, they built a very good team around him. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the Jaguars didn't do that. So we're gonna see them struggle just like they did last year. So this is a dub for the Seahawks. Easy. Amari, do you see anything different happening happening than what uh, Bennett said? It's the Jaguars. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's that's enough for me. Damn, he muted too. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. All right, six and two heading into the bye week. Six and two. Uh, if I look at that, well, six and two is my record. If we look at oh, a Bennett one and oh, two and oh, three and oh, four and oh, six and two as well. Okay, six and two. I think Omari is too. One and one, two and one, three and one, three and two, three and three, four and two. Five, what did, what, how did I get here? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, okay, hold on. Omari, help us out here. What are you at? Six and two. Six and two. Okay, wow, we're all at six and two. That's kind of funny. Okay. Oh, and then we get to week 10 at the Green Bay Packers. Now, obviously, Ooh. hold on now. This okay, greatly okay. depends on the quarterback position. Um, I think we can all tell you if Green Bay doesn't have the man with the funny must, does he have his mustache? Aaron wow. Rodgers at quarterback. I say we win this game. I say we go into Lambeau and beat the Fudge Packers for the first time in like 20 years. But if Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, and uh, I think for this sake and for making a definitive decision, uh, I think I'm just. I think we're just going to go with the fact that he is on the, the Packers right now. This is a loss. I don't really see anything. Uh, it would be a miracle for me to see the uh, Seahawks beat the Packers in Lambeau with Aaron Rodgers. And if they do, I'll buy a cheese head. I will buy one of the funny cheese Whoa. heads that they sell. I'll do it. If they, if they beat the Packers in Lambeau with Aaron Rodgers. So Bennett, uh, do you dis- disagree with anything that was just said? No. So we're chalking this up as a loss. Yeah, I think unanimously. Omar, do you disagree with that? Oh, no, not at all. The Jeopardy host is a very good quarterback. (laughs) I like that one. I like that one. All right. Now, this is interesting. This is where I might disagree with you guys. Uh, Week 11 at home versus the Cardinals. First time playing the Cardinals this year. Let's just throw it to Bennett. I think they're they're a ridiculously scary team. I I, – they have proven players who are a little on the older side, sure, but they're proven. They lost Larry Fitzgerald, but really who cares because they have DeAndre <laughs> Hopkins uh, in that other – what's that? J. Jonah Jameson? What's his name? Oh, uh, T.J. Watt. Oh. No. No, they, they, they got the, uh, the other wide receiver that they have. What's his name? Oh, A.J. Green. Do they have A.J. Green? That's yeah. ridiculous. Listen, if you told anyone two years ago that a team would have A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins, that'd be a big deal. Why are we not talking about this more? And he's old. old. I don't care. I don't care, Chuck, because he's still a like I still a don't, I, I don't have faith in Cliff Kingsbury. I don't. I he don't. can get open in space pretty well still, A.J. Green can. And DeAndre Hopkins is a mastermind wide receiver. I'm saying this is like this is one of the scariest. Don't forget they have Andy Isabella. <laughs> and uh, uh, what's his name? Christian. Oh, son of a! They drafted Rondell Moore. You're ma. They're a stacked team. They're a wide receiver. Was... All right, a wide receiver. Yes. 
their draft was good. Their team is good. Their defense is pretty damn good too. Like they have all the makings of a Super Bowl contending team. Do I think they'll get there? I don't know. But I'd say easily they can beat the Seahawks. Easily. Damn, easy. Good out for me. Uh Omari. I'm not gonna get as disrespectful with it, but yes, I do see them being able to beat the Seahawks. <laughs> um and like Ben said, this is a scary team. They got a they're they're definitely a threat to our secondary. And yeah, I also don't know how confidence is gonna be feeling after I lost to Green Bay too. I feel like that's definitely gonna be a factor in how they play. I feel like the Seahawks are very uh emotional. emotional. Yeah, very emotional. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I just see us next week. I'm like, bro, y'all really like let that game get to you. So, yeah, I definitely don't see them beating the Cardinals. And if they do, it's definitely not going to be easy. So I, I have an issue with saying that they'll beat them easily just because we uh, – correct me if I'm wrong. I The last game I saw the Seahawks lose a divisional game handily – it's like more than two scores. I don't know if the Rams game was more than two scores uh, last year, but was that Rams game where they went to the Super Bowl that year, I believe, where it was just absolutely terrible. I think they put up 45 points. I turned the game off in the second half, uh, early in the second half, but the NFC West has always been really competitive. Well, we always play difficult games against the Cardinals, it seems. Um, I'm not, I'm just going to tell you this now. I'm not worried about Cliff Kingsbury and his funny haircut and his rich white man aesthetic. I'm not worried about him. He Uh, definitely seems like a finance bro. (laughs) He does. Uh, I mean, he had the stupid house thing in the draft two years or whatever. I don't know. I'm not worried about him. I attract players Huh? to attract players, Chuck. When they've already scouted them. Yes. For next year. Oh yeah, he's playing chestnut checkers. Um, Are you just saying this because he was a USC offensive coordinator? He was. Yeah. Oh, he was at Texas Tech last I saw. He was. That's my thing too. He was a head coach at Texas Tech, and he had Patrick Mahomes, and he put up like 700 yards in one game, and they lost that game, and they were ass. Texas Tech was ass in his tenure there, so I'm not really worried about him as a head coach. Um, I have this as a win. I don't care. I have this as a win. That's interesting. We get to week 12, though, at the Washington football team, a rematch of last year in the same building. Uh, I hope they have a different name by then. Um, they won't. 2022. This is an interesting uh, game to me. But as always, we'll throw it to Bennett. All right. Um, they didn't improve enough. Uh, in in my book, they just didn't. They don't have enough to prove to me that they're gonna be good enough to beat the Seahawks. They'll be good enough to beat a lot of teams, and divisionally, I think they'll be top of the pile. But I don't think they've done enough on the offensive front to necessarily shut down or to necessarily overcome the Seahawks' new defense. Um, the quarterback position is a big question mark for me. Um, running back is interesting over there as well. Um, I think this could be a little like, like the uh, Saints win in my book, a nice ground and pound 
get the job done win rather than anything flashy. Is that what Waldron does? We don't know quite yet. But uh, if we stick to our guns as a team, and I know this is sounding like Pete Carroll propaganda, promise you it's not. Gotta run the football. If we can stick to our guns as a team with whatever identity we choose for this year, whatever identity we work into, if we stick to it, we'll beat we'll be we'll beat the football team, I think. Not easily, but it'll be a good win regardless. Omari san. See. Ah, Fitz Magic be doing some crazy things. That's what I gotta say. You do some crazy things, but not enough. I definitely see them still beating the Washington football team this season. I don't know. I agree with Bennett. I don't think they did enough. I don't think they're gonna be. They could be like organized enough by this point in the season to like figure out what their identity is with Fitz Magic in as a, the starting quarterback. Because I feel like that's always an interesting identity to have as a team. You know. <laughs> Because you definitely see a, a change in play whenever he goes somewhere. You see, you see his identity change for a team when he's that quarterback. Mm. But uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to be enough. Yeah, no. Uh, my thing with the Washington football team was that they've got a good defense. Uh, they got Terry McLaurin. Uh, Antonio Gibson was solid for them at the running back position. But the, the one thing was if they had a quarterback that could put them over the top, I felt like they could really be a a hard hitter and they even they, they they pushed Tampa a little bit. I wouldn't say that they made it, you know, the end of the world for them, but um so I don't know. I think this is a tough game on the road, you know, to 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 credit you guys. I think coming off a Cardinals game uh, that will probably be a hard fought game. I think they come into Washington and they lose this game. Um I think this is gonna be a difficult game. They almost lost the game last year in Washington. And I think with somebody that's not a Dwayne Haskins, I think that they might lose this game. So uh, I have them in week 12 at seven and four with a loss to the Washington football team. So we come to week 13, uh, play the 49ers uh, at home uh, for the second game against the 49ers in the year. Uh, Bennett, does anything change? Uh, to you in the second matchup against the 49ers in week 13? Nope. That's it? Nope. Um, well, okay, I want to. I, I just want to make it clear. The 49ers aren't scary. They're, they're the least scary team in the division, in my opinion. They just don't have enough to make me think that they're going to hurt us in any way, uh, at least record-wise. Um, plus, this is going to be in Lumen. It'll be the first game that we can have fans against the 49ers. I think that's huge, especially at CenturyLink slash Lumen. Um, if they have a strong ground game, they might sneak up on us. That's all I'll say. And they have a stupid chant. Um, Omari, you also had this as a win in week four. Do you see that being any different in the home matchup against the 49ers? Hell no. I mean, no. no. <laughs> I like that answer, though. No, no. Yeah, I do not disagree. Eight and four on to the Texans in NRG Stadium in Houston. Uh, our thoughts on this game? It's the Texans. It's the Texans. Do you disagree with what Omari's saying? No. Um, no real pieces. 
And st- I mean, when was the last time we heard anything about number four? It's, it's been a while. <laughs> I mean, uh, they put out like a soft statement that he was going to play. That's it. Oh, Jesus. Like, I'm, it was like a very soft, non-committal. We'll see. But we haven't. It's just like heard. the shrugging emoji. It's like, ah. we we haven't heard anything more than that, at least not within the last couple of weeks. I do not disagree with that. Nine and four. All right. Uh, week fifteen at the Rams in SoFi Stadium. Uh, Bennett, how do we feel in the away game of this series this year? I think we win this one. Um, it's interesting because I think we split the series with the Rams this year because of the fact that they beat us in the playoffs. I think them beating us twice is going to leave a pretty bitter taste in our mouth. And I think we're going to go into their home and destroy them in front of their friends and family. Uh, cause that's who shows up to Rams games just about, uh, <laughs> I think Russ is going to be scary with the new offense, and I think he's really going to show in this game. I think it's going to be a no-holds-bar, all-out offensive attack against a defense on the Rams that, I mean, we'll see if they're healthy by this point. Same thing with the Seahawks and their offense and defense, but I think it'll be a close win just because I think they do have the moxie to keep up with us, but um, I think that Russ will win the day uh, with uh, the new offense. No holds barred, uh, tables, ladders, and chairs match. Absolutely. All right. Hell in a cell. Yes. Um, Omari, you also had this game as a loss in week five. Uh, do you agree with Bennett on a win here in week oh, 15? Yeah, no, there's no way they're going to lose twice. I feel like the first game is going to be a learning experience. And at this point into the season, the Seahawks are really going to hit their stride. It's going to be the opposite of last year. It's going to be the opposite. It's going to be the opposite. Uh, I see them getting more consistent with their play and figuring out how they're going to use Russ in a more formal like manner this by this time in the season. So I definitely don't see them. Also, I just never see the Seahawks losing to like a division rival twice like in a season. It's hard to believe, but it has happened. Yeah, well, not this season. And we don't like when it happens. Um, see, I disagreed with you guys in week five i disagree with you here i think that they lose this game uh i think that this is difficult here uh week 15 things are kind of turning up i think this is a slip up here um just because you'll see why in a sec but um yeah i have them losing this game um just because it's down on in there i think i think that having fans back in our in some stadiums it won't matter just because some stadiums. this one yeah uh, in, in some stadiums, the home field advantage is poop. It's basically like playing in front of the high school uh, JV team that just lost their game and they're watching you now. Um, not, it's not, it's different here in Seattle. Um, but continuing on to the Week 16 matchup versus the Chicago Bears, um, more than <laughs> likely we'll have Justin Fields at quarterback at this point if they don't have. I the- mean, you would hope. Yeah, I'd hope so. Uh, Bennett, what do you think about this home matchup against the Bears? I think it's a win, but I think it's Justin Fields' best game of the season. Mm. Like, I think he shows off how good he is this game. Um, why doesn't he win? Because the Seahawks will outplay him. Um, <laughs> I wrote, it's the Bears next to the Bears. Wow. Um, 
it's the yeah, Bears. They have a wacky good defense and a wacky mediocre offense. Mm-hmm. Will Justin Fields elevate them? Absolutely. Is it wild that he's even on the Bears? Absolutely. In terms of drafting. But I think he'll show himself off this game. Don't think it'll be enough, but I'm excited to watch him play our team. Omari, what are you thinking? Uh, Come on, Chicago. It's the Bears. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Uh, I just don't see them being at a point where they can play. Like, I don't think it's going to be because the Bears are bad. I just think the Seahawks are going to win just because they're going to be a better team at this point in the season. And, you know, they got a young QB. They, yeah. they got a young QB. And I feel like there's certain things that a young QB can't always pull off. And I think beating Pete Carroll is going to be one of them. And to that point, um, December is usually – December, November is usually when this, this football team starts hitting their stride and hitting the cylinders. Not necessarily in the playoffs as we've seen in the past few years, but December is kind of where the, the money happens. Um, I, what comes into mind when I say that is the, uh, the win that they had in, late in the season against the Chiefs uh, 2018. Don't know how that happened. The team was not that great that year. And they beat the Chiefs at home. So um, I'm not comparing the Bears and the Chiefs by any means. I'm just saying that's when they win the games. Um, I, yeah, I don't really see the Bears coming into Seattle and doing anything spectacular. Um, week 17 versus the Lions. Now, when we were talking about this before we started the show here, Bennett had some choice words about the Lions. Um, <laughs> I'm interested to see what he says here for the Week 17 matchup versus Detroit. I think they're dookie. I feel like, I mean, they, they're going in with a new head coach, new quarterback, who is Jared Goff. Um, I, I don't think they've had any improvements. In last year, they struggled, and they just, I, I they haven't showed me anything to make them me believe that they're going to be anything other than a bottom-of-the-barrel NFL team. So, I think it'd be quite as bad as, say, a Las Vegas Raiders or a Denver Broncos. And the Denver Broncos are weird because of the... Actually, both the teams I just named are kind of weird because the whole Aaron Rodgers thing. Um, but I just... They don't have enough change for me to excuse them beating the Seahawks. Uh, they don't have enough change for me to excuse beating anybody with a winning record. So, uh, win for sure. Bennett, you... I mean, Bennett. Ha-ha. <laughs> Omari, do you disagree at all? I, I'm sorry, you threw me off with that one. Uh, it's the Lions. Hmm. I think that's I think that's sufficient. So I will repeat that. It's the Lions. I don't see them losing this game. Okay, we head into weeks 18. Is icky. Uh, head into week 18 on the road at the. Cardinals. Now, if we look back to the week 11 matchup, you both had this as a loss. Bennett, what are we thinking in week 18, uh, last game of the season here on the road? Uh, This is another loss. Um, Mostly because it's dependent on greater seeding. Because, I mean, it could be a rest game for either team. Probably won't be because we'll still be competing at this point. Uh, but I think we lose our first seat, or I think we lose the division here. Uh, I could see this. I could, 
I mean, if we're going to get swept by a team in our division, it's going to be the Cardinals. And arguably we have played consistently sloppy against this organization. And at this point, their game, like their game's even better now, especially with JJ Watt and especially with Deandre Hopkins. Um, They're a very scary team. And I think they really want this playoff spot at the end of the year. Um, So I think we'll cough it up quite honestly. I, I, I don't know how we could stand up to them unless our offense was really ignited, but I, I don't see it happening. So loss. Yeah. Omari. Oh, this one really kind of bothered me a little bit. Cause I still don't even know about my answer for this one. Like I'm really like, on the fence about it. Honestly, I just I I want to say I just want to say the Seahawks win. I don't know. I want them to win. I really do. I I just don't know. It's like I could see them choking this. I I could see them just like just making mistakes and losing this one. In my opinion, this game has shades of the 49ers game from a couple of years back. Yeah. Just on the road. On the road, yeah. Like, it, it's you need to win this game for seeding. You're going to get really close, but the other team is just going to barely outclass you, and it's going to really hurt your playoff chances. Yeah. So you have this as a loss? Yes. Okay. Um. All right. So um, where did I put it? That's awkward. Oh, no, I see it. Okay, so Bennett, what's your final record? What do you have this one as? Me? Oh, I had this as a win. I think that they come into this game. Um, I Again, I'm not worried about Cliff Kingsbury. I think this is a game, uh, you know, you you lost to the Rams in week 15, at least if we're looking at my, my bracket. Uh, you beat two teams that you probably wouldn't be worried about necessarily in the Bears and the Lions at that point in the season. And then and then the money time comes. You have to beat the Cardinals on the road. I think they can do that. I, The Seahawks, ooh, when playing the Cardinals in that stadium, not accounting for the other game that they played a different team in that stadium, <laughs> and we take away that one game where everybody died on the Seahawks, um, they have – They've played some pretty good games in that stadium. So I'm not, uh, I'm not really, again, I just, Arizona just always has been the little brother for me. So I have this as a win. I see the Seahawks going 12 and five this year, which is not a horrible record. It's still ugly to me with the whole 17 games, but they're, they're not going to come out and be the world beaters, but they'll, they'll be, I think they'll be pretty good. Um, taking into account Shane Waldron and um, some of the different pieces uh, on defense and having guys uh, get a full off season and all that. So uh, what was your record for the regular season, Bennett? 12 and five. Um, oh, copycat. Just cause you said it first. Yes. Uh, 12 and five. Yeah. Um, pretty cut and dry. What's your, uh, what's your seating? Oh, I think we're going to be fifth in the conference and uh, second in the division. 
Omari, your record and seating. I have them going hmm, 12 and 5, same as you. Fifth in the conference. Ah, I don't have the division up. How do you, you uh, if you're fifth in the conference, you're probably second in the division. Yeah, no, there's second in the division. But uh, um, to the Cardinals, by the way. Yeah, me as well. Shoot, I should see mine. Um, who do I have? Uh, the 49ers in the basement. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> I had us winning the division. Wow. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have much confidence in Arizona. Um, we'll get to awards here. Is anybody going to disagree with anyone else than Russell Wilson as MVP? Not for the league, for the team. Yes, uh, Russell for MVP for the team, for sure. Omari? Uh, as of right now, what we know about the team, Russell Wilson for MVP. Uh, offensive player of the year, and I, you have to be different than Russell. You can't pick Russell. Oh, man, got to be Rashad Penny. Mm, DK. I'm going to kick you in the nuts, Bennett. No, not my Rashad Pennies. Uh, DK Metcalf. Yeah, uh, DK's been a guy that came out and performed in his his his, uh, his rookie year. He got better his second year, I don't think. I He's think an upward-trending guy. Yeah. Uh, was he not our pick for offensive MVP season last year, too? I don't know. That would be cool to look at. Maybe I'll, I'll look at that after this. He was um, at the end of the year. So there you go. Defensive player of the year. This this is I'm interested to see where you guys go with this one. Bobby. <laughs> yeah. Bobby. 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 I mean, like, it's boring because like I think a lot of other teams, you you'd you'd have a deeper conversation about this. And maybe with the Seahawks, you can have the argument that it might be somebody else this year. Uh but Bobby Wagner is the best linebacker in the league. He has been forever. Uh Luke Keekley maybe could step up to him maybe. Um, Bobby Wagner's a G. He always has been. That's my defensive MVP. Omari. See, I feel like a lot of people could step up. Jamal Adams, Dunlap. Uh, you're right. I mean. So I really actually have no answer for this one. I feel like a lot of people could step up. I'm going to put a question mark there for you. Yeah, no, I definitely feel like a lot of people could step up this season. And Give us your top two. Uh, I feel like Jamal Adams is definitely going to come to the season with something to prove, you know. But, mm-hmm. uh, Dunlap, that's the second year in a system. That's always nice to see. Bobby, it's Bobby, you know. Ah, uh, yeah, Bobby and uh, Jamal. Um, in that order, huh? What? I was saying Bobby and Jamal in that order, like Bobby. Oh, and okay. Um. Okay, well, that's perfect because mine's Jamal, so it's either one of those two. Yeah, like you said, I think Jamal comes into this season and he, I mean, he played with one one arm or couple games there so you know um i think you get him fully integrated get a full off season um get him healthy uh i i it's it's funny seeing all like the 13 year olds on instagram oh blitz boy blitz boy shut up you don't know you're talking about um granted he you know had that one game in the 
was it the car that was it the Rams game where he, he got like teabagged? Um where he could have had a pick, but he just kind of had limited motion. I think it was the Rams game. Um I thought it was the Bills game. Was it no, 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 no. It was a home game, I remember. Uh, um but even that game, it's like you put him on Stephon Diggs, it's not gonna work out. It's I don't know any I don't know any safety necessarily that can cover Stephon Diggs one on one consistently in man. Um I don't know. I have Jamal Adams here. I think he's uh he's a valuable valuable asset to this team and getting him healthy uh, is always a good thing. And I hope they extend him already because if you give up that much draft capital and you don't extend him, that's a big waste of money. Um fine, I'll include it. Uh let down player of the year. Who's gonna be Big disappointment time. Uh, I'm going to try Penny. I he, think this he's is not on a, the team. Yes, he is. What? Yes, he is. He he's cleared waivers. He's on the team. I don't know about waivers. I thought we waived him. No, he didn't get waived. No. <laughs> he's yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's a guy that they've given chances. They didn't pick up his option, so I think this is his last year on the team. Um. I'll, I will Rashad Penny contract. I will just confirm that. Um, spot track, please go faster. Okay. Um, yeah, this is his last year. So um, do we have anybody different for letdown play of the year? Mm-hmm. No, I'm aware that he's still on the team, though. Maybe Russ. Just because he disappoints me sometimes. That's a fair point. He could, uh, Russell Wilson is one of the few players in the NFL that can both be MVP and biggest letdown at the same time. But uh, I'm going to have to give it to uh, Sidney Rice, probably. Okay, we're moving on. Uh, bounce back player of the year. Sidney Rice. God damn it. <laughs> Make a choice. Um, bounce back player of the year. Uh, pass for now. I'll, I'll get back to me. <laughs> Omari. Uh, hmm. <laughs> that is a very. We gotta mine. keep. We I gotta can... keep going. We got stuff to hit. Okay, I have I'll mine. Come back to me. I got it. Yeah. Go ahead. Daryl. Daryl Taylor. Whoa. Wow. Ooh. Nice speaking. Daryl Taylor. <laughs> I like that pick. I like that pick. Uh, Mari, do you got anything? Uh, no, we can keep pushing. I think Daryl Taylor's a good pick there. Uh, rookie, rookie of the year. Uh, you've got a lot of undrafteds to pick through, and you've got three uh, draftees to pick through. Um, I'm going to go with Eskridge. I think he gets utilized well in Shane, Shane Waldron's offense, and I think he's the guy that complements the two wide receivers we've got in the roster. Um, Bennett, who uh, are you picking? Stone Forsyth, uh, immediate impact. Really? I yeah. think so. Uh, he plays, I think, I mean, the same side as Dwayne Brown, but if they could transition to the other side, there you go. Which I'm sure they could. Yeah, that's um, easier to do than making a guard be a center. Uh, Omari. Yeah, no, uh, I agree. Stone. Of course, I, I feel like that's something that we actually needed at the from the draft that we're going to actually see immediate impact for. You so, could honestly just call him Stone. That's kind of badass. 
right? <laughs> Immovable Stone. Like, if he's actually really nasty, I feel like he'll have some pretty sick nicknames coming out. So, I know, I, uh, I think I think he's a close second. I'm thinking that uh, Mr. Stone Man there could uh, he's swinging the right tackle, and Brandon Shell's all good and fine, but uh, Forsyth could be a, a nice big roadblock there. That's not to say that Trey Brown isn't going to make an immediate impact. Uh, I just think that these, I just think that Forsyth is a little more impactful than him. Uh, I'd actually put Eskridge at the bottom of the rookies for me, at least drafted, but I still have faith in him. Um, so that's it about addressing needs, huh? No, not really about the skill of the rookies, like, but like what we need at the time. I agree. Like Eskridge, he's cool. Like he'll probably do good, but it's like wide receivers. Like it wasn't really our problem. I feel like offensive line was our problem. Corners were our problem, and those were the ones addressing those two picks. But go ahead, Chuck. My bad. Um. Yeah, we got a lot to go through. Uh, so that's the season. Uh, I know we're in June now, so a lot of this could change. I mean, we could see trades happen. We could see uh, guys get signed. <clears throat> okay, you're right. Um, and people could get injured. So there's, there's a. I'm, I'm sure we can revisit some of this stuff, especially if uh, a guy that wears number twelve in Green Bay gets traded. But that's it for the time being. Uh, Julio, watch we. A little bit of Julio Jones. Uh, we're just going to go through the segment just because he was somewhat mentioned as a Seahawk. Uh, Julio Jones asked for a trade out of Atlanta if you're living under a rock. Uh, for several days, Seattle and Tennessee remained the top two spots that were favorites for the wide receiver. Uh, Julio reportedly wanted to play for a contender with a big-armed quarterback. I don't know why he wanted to go to Tennessee then. Um, they could live with the deep ball. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Tannehill as a, a deep go, deep ball guy, but whatever. Uh, Joseph would be traded uh, to the Titans on June 6th. Uh, the major reason why Seattle did not put in a bigger offer was that the, the fact that they didn't want to pay bigger money for Jones. Atlanta wanted to unload a lot of that money. Uh, Tennessee took that on. Seattle did not want to do so. That is why Julio Jones is a Tennessee Titan. Uh, team extended punter Michael Dixon. Not necessarily the extension that I saw coming. Uh, signed a four-year, $14.5 million extension that will pay him ten point six in the first two years. Uh, Dixon has set franchise records uh, for the team in punting, earned first-team All-Pro and Pro Bowl honors in the year 2018, uh, has been consistent since being drafted by Seattle in the fifth round. Um, so, the, you know, it's never uh, a bad thing, I guess, when you get con- consistent special teams players. So uh, good for the Australian. Uh, number changes. The Seahawks had a couple, not a couple. The Seahawks had a decent list of official number changes for this season. Uh, number two will be cornerback Akella Witherspoon. Number six will be safety Quandre Diggs. Number eight will be defensive end Carlos Dunlap II. Uh, number nine will be quarterback Danny Etling. Number 10 will be quarterback Alex Magoo. 11 will be wide receiver Cody Thompson. 23 will be cornerback Demarius Randall. 26 will be safety Ryan Neal. 35 will be cornerback Pierre Desir. 36 will be cornerback Savion Smith. 46 will be tight end Cam Sutton. 51 will be DA defensive end Kerry Hyder Jr. 52 will be defensive end Daryl Taylor. Uh, 58 will be linebacker Nate Evans. 65 will be guard Gabe Jackson. Number 70 will be offensive uh, tackle Cedric Obwehi. Number 75 will be defensive tackle Cedric Lattimore. 
number 81 will be Gerald Everett. Number 86 will be Nick Gugemos. That could be very wrong. Uh, number 90 will be a defensive tackle, Brian Monet. Wow, Monet jumping on that 90 right after uh, Sharon Reed left. 92 will be defensive tackle, Robert Nkemdichi. Uh, 93 will be Al Woods, and number 99, which is interesting to me, will be defensive end Alan Smith. Uh, if I had to make you pick one, do you have a favorite new number out of those players? Uh, Eight. We both like Dunlap. All right, I don't disagree with that. Um, some veterans showed up to OTAs. Uh, Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, among other veterans, uh, will check in for the final week of OTAs after sitting out the voluntary offseason program. Uh, and then the last piece of Seahawks-related news, DK Metcalf will be the only NFL player in the MLB Celebrity Game for All-Star Weekend. So good for DK, I guess. little fun offseason thing for him. Uh, league news. This one's kind of jarring in the fact that it didn't get more attention uh, league-wide is a little disturbing. Uh, the league will stop its practice of assuming that black players started with lower cognitive function that was used in concussion claims. Um, yeah. Really? What the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah. There's a time to break the, the E out. I think now is a good time to break the E out. Yeah. So think about, think about that, that you didn't hear about that. How is, you know... Um, well, I mean... Okay, well, let's, let's think about how, like, sports media talks about black players to begin with. Like, and I know we're all guilty of it as media people. We've either slipped up or been really, pre- uh, like, intentional with our language, and I'm speaking for me, at, like, myself. But as people who constantly talk about sports, you know, there's language that is used for black players that is really demeaning. Like the whole, oh, he's a freak of nature. He's inhuman. That guy's a monster out there. And then what do you say when you see a, a white what do you see when you see a white player doing wild? Oh, he's got great football IQ. Really sharp kid. I mean Oh, I see what you're saying. It's it's at all levels of sports. So like I'm not super surprised that the NFL had this built into their policy. What I am surprised about is that it didn't have more outcry sooner. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, no, I I can't, you know. I, it's just, you know, fucking hell. Uh, pretty jarring that that's even a thing. Uh, Omari, were you going to say something? Nah, I'm not even going to give it the energy. Yeah, just, you know. Uh, and then... In, in another stupid thing, uh, some assistant coaches are refusing the vaccine. Uh, assistant coaches from at least four different NFL teams uh, could lose their tier one status due to refusing the COVID-19 vaccine. I, I continue to fail to see the disagreeance, oopsie, with getting the vaccine. So if you are that person, please educate yourself from real facts, not the guy from middle school that didn't pass science in fifth period. Please go and get your vaccine so that we can uh, continue back to normal sooner rather than later. And also, if it's uh, something about hesitancy, um, there's a million and a half resources to to look into how safe the vaccine is. It's ridiculous to me that somebody in a place of that much power would be hesitant. You know, hard to take advantage of somebody who's, uh, you know, making six figures a year 
So, yeah, I don't understand. It's you know a lot of the a lot of times it's like oh there's philosophical reasons. I'm like no there's not. You're just dumb. <laughs> Excuse me. Oops. Oh. Um, heading into our next subject here, the Seattle Mariners. Uh, let's get into the game recaps. May 31st versus the Oakland Athletics on Memorial Day. The team would win six to five on a Tom Murphy sacrifice fly. Uh, player of the game, though, would be first baseman Ty France with his one hit, one run, and one RBI. I, I, you could put Tom Murphy here, but I had Ty just because of the uh, contributions on the scoreboard. Um, June 1st versus the Oakland Athletics, they would lose six at, uh, 12 to 6. Uh, I had Ty France here again with three hits and an RBI. June 2nd versus the Oakland Athletics, to close out the series, they would lose 6 to nothing. Uh, kind of rough to lose those two games there to Oakland. Uh, play of the game, I had Jack Mayfield with two hits. Everybody else had like one. Uh, June 3rd at the Anaheim Angels, they would win 6-2. to two. Uh, I had Jake Fraley here at DH winning player of the game uh, with one hit, two runs, three RBIs, and two walks, and he had his first major league homer. Uh, so good for Jake. Um, June 4th at the Anaheim Angels, I had uh, – well, no, I didn't have them losing. They did lose 3-2. to two. Uh, Play of the game, left fielder Taylor Trammell with two hits and a run. June 5th at the Anaheim Angels, they would lose 12 to 5. Uh, play of the game, Jake Fraley at DH again with the one hit, one run, and four RBIs. He would get a grand slam, the second home run of his career in the majors, and his second home run this series, and the first Mariners home uh, grand slam in, I think, good amount of time. Bennett, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's been a while. Um, it's a grand slam on the Mariners? Yeah. Yes, been some, been some time. Uh, June 6th at the Anaheim Angels. Uh, the team would win nine to five. The player of the game would be left fielder slash second baseman. He switched in the game. Uh, Donovan Walton with two hits, three runs, two RBIs, and a walk. I had split it here. Player of the game with uh, Logan Gilbert, five innings pitched, one earned run on two hits and seven Ks in his first big league win. He should have got the first win on Memorial Day, but uh, I digress. Um, player of the week, I had JP Crawford at short. Interesting. In 22 at-bats over the last seven days, uh, he had nine hits, five runs, five doubles, one homer, five RBIs, three walks, a 409 average, a 444 OBP, uh, a .773 slugging percentage, and a 1.217 OPS. Bennett Son, who did you have? I like to give it to the uh, sensational players that just had like a cool moment throughout the week. So I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think I'm giving it to Jake Fraley. Wow. I don't disagree with that. I mean, to come back up, uh, I think his first game back was Memorial Day. Um, and to get your first big league homer um, and the Grand Slam within the same series there, that's pretty good. And I don't know what he's doing this year, but he's got a lot of walks. I don't know how that's coming to fruition, but he does. And getting on base is always a good thing. So um, I don't disagree with that. I think that's interesting. And it's, uh, it's been cool to see him. I I have to admit, I'm not the biggest Jake Fraley guy. All right. Um, But a couple of guys who have gone down to Tacoma, whether it's through injury or through being sent down because they have been struggling have had success in coming back with Tramel getting some success. I'm not saying he's playing out of his mind up here in the majors again, but Freely's doing better. So um, we'll get to it in a second, but hoping a certain outfielder uh, can find that same success here. 
the team's current record is 30 and 31. They are one game under 500. They're third in the AL West uh, behind the Astros and the Athletics. Um, but, you know, this is an okay week. Uh, injury news. Uh, May 31st, as I said, Jake Fraley was reinstated from the 10-day injured list. Uh, June 1st, Kyle Lewis was placed on the 10-day IL uh, with a right meniscus tear. Uh, and his weekly visit with Danny O'Neill and Gallant, I don't know the guy's first name. I just know that he's on the 710 ESPN Mariner show. Uh, Jerry DePoto gave an update on Kyle Lewis, um, said that I don't think that this is going to be days and weeks. I think it's going to be longer than that, uh, which isn't good at all. Uh, Kyle, I believe it's the same knee that he blew out. Um, so you, you lose your center fielder, a guy that's, you know, one of your best ball players on the team. It's never a good thing, especially when it's a guy who's, you know, already dealt with so much in his career. So uh, hoping for only good things for Mr. Lewis there. And if it's not good things, hoping for a quick and uh, effective and speedy recovery there uh, for Kyle Lewis. Um, didn't get any easier. June 2nd, uh, Justin Dunn would be placed on the 10-day injured list with right shoulder inflammation. Uh, June 4th, uh, some good news. Evan White and Dylan Moore are currently taking bat- currently took batting practice on June 4th uh, with the Rainiers of Cheney. Uh, they weren't in the lineup, but should start their uh, rehab assignment soon. And then June 7th, uh, Dylan Moore started his rehab assignment with the Rainiers. And Sam Haggerty was transferred to the 60-day IL. So... Not good there with Mr. Haggerty, but uh, good to see Dylan Moore uh, getting back to some baseball activity and getting into some game action there uh, with the coma. Uh, team news, May 31st, the Mariners acquired uh, cash considerations from the San Francisco Giants in exchange for pitcher Sam De La Plain. Uh, June 1st, Marco Gonzalez was activated from the 10-day IL. Taylor Trammell was recalled from Tacoma. Robert Duggart, Duggar, not Duggart was optioned to Tacoma, and infielder Travis Blankenhorn was claimed off waivers by the New York Mets. June 2nd, uh, the team outrighted infielder Eric Campbell to Tacoma and recalled Robert Duggar from the triple-day Tacoma roster. Duggar's playing ping-pong, I guess. June 4th, the team acquired right-handed pitcher Yaxel Rios from the Tampa Bay Rays in exchange for cash considerations. June 5th, Drew Steckenrider was reinstated from the aisle. Yaxel Rios was selected. Uh, Robert Duggar, playing ping pong again, was optioned to Tacoma. Daniel Zamora was also optioned to Tacoma. Uh, other team news, uh, starting June 14th, the capacity at T-Mobile Park will be increased to 30,945, with the vast majority, 26,265, sold as vaccine only, with no social distancing. Outside food will be permitted in single-serving sizes, along with clear plastic slash vinyl bags. So everybody complaining to me, Chuck, why aren't they allowing bags in the stand? You can shut up now. You can bring your little dainty bag and you can put whatever you like in it. Well, not whatever you like, but you get the point. Uh, and then June 7th, Shed Long was brought up to the main roster and activated from the injured list. And Jared Kelnick was optioned down to Tacoma. So like I kind of mentioned earlier, uh, I, 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 I am not hitting the panic button on Jared Kelnick. I thought he got brought up sooner than he should have. I'm not that worried about him. Mike Trout got sent back after his debut down to the minors. Mookie Betts got sent back down to the minors. Remember Alex Rodriguez? He got sent down four times before he broke out. Ah, yes. Alex Rodriguez, owner of the Timberwolves. So I think you get my point here. I'm not worried about Jared. 
I really am not. I don't I don't get the oh I get it. Oh for thirty nine is never great. Twenty six strikeouts is not good, but I I really am not worried about the guy. Um so uh hoping that it's just more of a reset for him, I'm sure. I mean they had him in they had him at the leadoff spot for like a good majority of that time. Which I don't know how I feel about that. So, you know, um I think he'll be fine. Uh, in league-related news, the MLB is to crack down on foreign substances. Uh, the league informed owners of the severity of issue with pitchers using foreign substances and says that enforcement is coming. Uh, umpires will aggressively enforce rules banning illegal substances that are used to better grip bats. Uh, enhanced plans for enforcement are being finalized, aiming for a June rollout pending. Um, and all-star voting is now live. Um, I believe it's being hosted through Google so I believe if you just look up MLB All-Stars, uh, you'll probably be directed to it. Uh, Bennett, who do you think is most likely to be the All-Star from this team? Uh, I think there's a few names, but I think there's one guy that sticks out the most. Mitch. Yeah, I, I think that JP might be a fringe guy. Yeah. But uh, I think Mitch is far and away our best candidate to send down to Colorado uh, for the All-Star game. So Weirdly enough, Maybe Chris Flexen. I, th- I looked at that. I was like, hmm. Hmm. I thought about it. I tempted myself, but I didn't say it. Uh, you said it, not me. Um, so upcoming schedule, the team will play three games at the Tigers from June 8th through June 10th. They will play three games at the Cleveland baseball team, uh, June 11th through 13th. And then they will come back on June 14th to play the Minnesota Twins, who we saw uh, this earlier this year. Uh, Hom Seattle. Hom's had your back in a loving big brother kind of way. Our goal is to change the mental kind of, eh, mental health conversation one heart at a time. What can I say? Race and the team over there continues to work to get innovation, uh, innovative things out, innovative products. Uh, they just a little bit ago, uh, I believe it was like a month ago, got to the women's season one uh, line and I know they're working on summer stuff. I'm, I'm, I can guarantee that. So uh, more than likely, I'll have product to endorse here in a little bit, but we've got stuff to go through, so we're going to continue on. Uh, Seattle Sounders will not play a game until June 19th. They are on international break, but there is stuff to mention. Injury news. Uh, midfielder Jordy Dellum was placed on the season-ending injury list. He is ineligible to play for the remainder of the 2021 campaign. He suffered a torn right ACL at San Jose on May 12th. This also allows Seattle to have save. 200 grand against the salary cap. So more than likely that'll probably mean they sign somebody, but for now uh, more so just wishing uh, Mr. Dellum uh, a good recovery there and just hoping that there's no sort of setback uh, with that. Uh, team notes, four Sounders were called into international duty. Brad Smith for Australia, Nuhu for Cameroon, Raul Rui Diaz for Peru and Javier Ariega for Ecuador. Uh, stadium capacity increasing, similar to the Mariners, uh, with Washington State on course to fully reopen after the 30th of June and is being permitted by uh, Seattle and King County, as well as the Washington State Department of Health. Uh, the Sounders are welcoming back season ticket holders uh, to their seats, announcing more details about opening up. Uh, using natural breaks in the team schedule, such as the international break, uh, the team will start to ease fans back in, uh, scheduled for the upcoming matches of June 23rd, 26th, as well as July 7th. Um, trying to see here. 
Uh, these next three matches allow Sounders FC to transition to a full capacity of sorts throughout the lower bowl at Lumen Field, uh, with all season ticket members able to access their originally secured seating locations and single match tickets available for purchase. So uh, Sounders are going to get more of their home field advantage back, sort of getting back to normal. Again, please get your vaccines. It's going to make things a lot easier, and it's just a shot. I guarantee you've got shots before, unless your parents are anti-vax, and I'm sorry if that's the case. Um, proof of vaccination will be required, which is obvious. Uh, children ages 5 to 15 who are not fully vaccinated or eligible can attend in full capacity sections with proof of a negative test within 72 hours of kickoff. Um so, yeah, main thing is the Sounders are increasing capacity, similar to the Mariners there. Uh, the Sounders did send Reed Baker Whitting, Ethan Dobelier, uh, Danny Leva, and Abdulier Sissoko to the Tacoma Defiance on standard loans, meaning basically that they can be recalled at any time. More than likely, what this is doing is increasing roster spaces just so the team can sign some people. Um, their roster, ooh, wait a minute, hold on. I want to make sure I get this right. Um, the team's record sits at five, three, and zero. yes, five wins to three draws and zero losses. Uh, they do sit at the West top of the Western conference uh, and they do sit at the top of the MLS just because they are number one in points. They're one game above the new England revolution. Uh, the next game is June 19th. Um, at the LA Galaxy, and then from there, they will play June 23rd versus Real Salt Lake at home, and June 26th at home versus the Vancouver Whitecaps. Seattle Storm, June 1st versus the Indiana Fever, they would win 88 to 73. Play the game forward, Brianna Stewart, with 28 points, six rebounds, three assists, and two blocks. June 4th versus the Dallas Wings. Every time we play Dallas, it's close. Uh, they would win in overtime, 105 to 102. Play the game, Jewel Lloyd with 25 points, two rebounds, seven assists, and one block, and the game-winning three-pointer with 0.8 seconds left and plenty to spare, really. Um, Brianna Stewart also has to be mentioned for her 23 points, nine rebounds, five assists, and block. Uh, and then June 6, as I just stated, every game against the Wings this season has been close. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. Dallas is a young team that's got a lot of offensive firepower, and they will only continue to get better. Um, so June 6th versus the Dallas Wings, the team would lose 67 to 68, uh, suffering their second loss of the year. Uh, part of the game would be guard Drew Lloyd again with 25 points, six rebounds, and two assists. Um, Team-related notes. Brianna Stewart was named a Western Conference Player of the Month for May with 22.5 points per game. 10.3 rebounds per game and 2.0 blocks per game. Uh, the team welcome back to Katie Lou Samuelson from Olympic 3v3 qualifiers for the June 4th match uh, against Dallas. Uh, she kind of struggled in the game. She went 0 for 5. Um, the plans to ease her back into the lineup. Um, but, you know, I think she'll be fine. Uh, and then Jewel Lloyd was named player of the week in week three with 22.7 points per game and a buzzer beater to beat Dallas. Uh, with that being said, uh, Bennett, I know that you've kind of mentioned that you want to uh, be more involved uh, with Storm Talk here. So with that being said, do you think, well, from what you've seen at least, right? right. Um, what what would you say is the biggest issue for the Storm right now? I mean, obviously they're 7-2. Right. They're first in the West and they're second in the league. But 
what do you think that this team needs to improve on at this stage of the season? I think a lot of it has to do, I mean, it's the thing we mentioned going into that game against the sun, mm. uh, that inside basketball uh, or inside defense, you know, yeah. and it's one of the key tenets of basketball. If you protect the hoop inside, like protecting the post is a big deal. And it seems like they struggle with that a lot of different times. Um, mostly when the pace is against their favor. So if they can find a way to recontrol pace in a lot of these situations, you'll start to see some of these runs that'll happen. I mean, not that there are many, because again, the games they lost were rather close. Um, one point. But you'll still see sometimes like these inside shots kill them. Uh, three-pointers uh, in terms of that last game against the Wings. They only shot five, uh, they only made five threes. So obviously their perimeter D is fine. It's that inside game that they just need to work on. I think that's a good point. Um, with the Connecticut team, that's as good as it is with them being first in the league right now. And with them having John Quill Jones, who could easily argue to be the MVP of the league right now, who can play in the post and can hit threes on you. I, I'm thinking the Sun are going to be... It's Sun, too, by the way. I think I said Sun. It's my apologies. It's Sun. Singular, not plural. Um, being a team that you might see in the playoffs at some stage, you're going to, like Bennett said, interior defense, sometimes you're going to want to improve. If you're going to give up easy buckets, you're probably not going to win basketball games. Um, and it's on Mercedes Russell uh, and Enzi Magbagor primarily to step up just because they're both... They're the two centers on this roster. But I think... I think you could agree with this, and I'm sure that's more of a, a team thing. You don't want to oh, give up easy sure. buckets. Yeah, so. I mean, you got to keep them from cutting in, and, like, and that's what I mean when I say pace. I mean, you get the ball, um, say it's a defensive rebound, they're already halfway down the court. It feels like the Storm are consistently at least three steps behind, you know. It's about keeping up with the movement of the ball, and I know fast breaks are hard to defend, but again, no easy buckets. You got to find a way. Yeah. So, nope, I agree with that. Um, so, looking ahead for this team, they will play the Atlanta Dream twice on the road, June 9th and 11th. And uh, I, uh, I mean, Atlanta hasn't been that great this year. Um, so, I'm not necessarily worried about them. Um, I mean, if we look at conference here, uh, well, they're four and four. Uh, they're not horrible. Um, I mean, they have two wins against Minnesota. Oh, no, they lost to Minnesota twice, which is kind of saying a lot. Um, I mean, they're fine, but they're – I'm not worried about that game as much as I am. The June 13th game uh, at Connecticut playing against the Sun again uh, in a rematch of that game that both Bennett and I saw in person um, that was – Easily could have gone either way. So, but again, they are road games, so it's still a test for this team. It's not like you can just say these teams are going to roll over. So, um, three games for the Storm this next week: ninth, eleventh, thirteenth. Dream twice, and then the Sun. Uh, Maestro Athletics. Maestro has some nice things coming up. I know that they just released. I think I said it last week, but they have the Mariner shorts. They have the two different uh, Supersonics logo. Uh, jerseys out and I know that they're going to have a different maestro I believe they're going to do the uh, sweater and the hoodie 
uh, coming out in the Toronto Northwest green slash teal. So uh, be prepared for that. Uh, as always, both partners are linked on the website of the podcast. Um, and that can be found uh, in my Instagram bio. If you're listening it to the podcast from here uh, on the account, Instagram bio and the account, Twitter bio um, it's linked on the YouTube. It's linked on, I should start linking it in the podcast description. I will do that. Um, anyways, we got some stuff still to go through. Seattle Kraken, uh, Climate Pledge Arena. This also ties in with the storm as they both play there uh, when it's open. Announced that Modelo will be the official import beer of the arena. Yay. Yay. More important news. Uh, the Kraken get the second overall pick in the NHL draft. Not the expansion draft, obviously, because there's no order. Um, the, the, the Kraken were the only team that moved up in regards to projected order to real order. So um, good luck there, I guess. Um, but the second overall pick is not bad in any facet. Um, so, and then GM Ron Francis said that we're going to take, we're going to make sure that we take the best available player with the number two pick. So not necessarily saying any position is going to take the best available, uh, interested to see that. And I think we'll have to keep tabs on who is projected to be that number two overall pick. So check out for that next week. Uh, shovels hit the ground at the future home of the Kraken's AHL franchise in Coachella Valley on Wednesday with the building set to open in 2022. AHL stands for American Hockey League, which is a development league for the NHL. Uh, Ron Francis reiterated that the goal is to hire a head coach by the end of the month. So it is June 8th when we are, this will be coming out. We've got 22 days for the Kraken to hire a head coach if they stick with that. That obviously could change, but we may see more than likely we'll see a head coach uh, by the end of the end of the month here. So check out for that. Looking ahead for the Kraken expansion draft, July 21st, coming up next month. Keep an eye on it. Um, Oil rain on June 5th, they played at New York slash New Jersey Gotham FC. They would lose 0 to one uh, play the game. I had Megan Rapino here, uh, three shots, two shots on goal, five corner kicks. Um, this is the, the rain have had a couple of frustrating games early on. They're only four games into the season, but um, a lot of it from being at the Washington spirit game two weeks ago and watching this game against Gotham, a lot of it was that they they're creating these chances and they're getting close and they're putting shots, some shots on gold or more just shots. Uh, they're creating chances. They're getting up into the, the third upper third of the field. They're just not being, they're not converting. That's, that's, it's, it's like if you, a lot of the teams are just bending and not breaking against the rain here. It's like if you wanted to just go and kick a bunch of field goals in football, it's not what you want. Um, unless you like special teams, but so it's been frustrating, but we're only four games into the season here. Uh, injury news against Gotham. Uh, Ali Watt was out with a right knee injury. She's still recovering from surgery there. Uh, Celia had a right thigh injury. Karen Bardley had a left thigh injury. Not quite sure the severity of that. That's your starting keeper. You want to know what the severity is. We don't know. Um, and then Michaela George had a left ankle injury that kept her out. Nobody was questionable for the match against Gotham. Uh, Team-related news. The team traded Jasmine Spencer to the Houston Dash for a third-round pick in the 2022 NWSL draft. Uh, so best of luck to Miss Spencer there in Houston. Um, there's kind of been a logjam of attackers. 
put the rain here and it'll only get more uh, log jammed as uh, I mentioned some news here later, but uh, best of luck to her with the Houston Dash, just not against us. Uh, midfielder Just Fishlock would earn NWSL Team of the Month honors. Uh, she had six key passes and completed 86% of tackles to give her team several quality scoring opportunities throughout the course of the month of May. Uh, Nicole Mamiki was added to the Japan Women's National Team for the June FIFA window. Uh, the rain extended the contract of forward Ali Watt through 2023, so congratulations to Miss Watt there. Hoping that uh, surgery... Uh, Hoping that recovery from surgery continues to go well. Uh, Sarah Buhati and Jennifer Marazon are on their way to join the OL Reign as the OL season uh, has ended. I don't know fully how to pronounce the what OL stands for, so I'm just not going to do it for right now. Uh, the team signed defender Alana Cook to the roster. Cook has spent time with the Reign in the past. Uh, and now she's officially on the roster for three years as compared to being on the roster last time. Uh, via loan uh, on Monday, they announced the signing of uh, Cook after agreeing to a permanent transfer with PSG. Uh, she'll join the team after the conclusion of the June FIFA international match window, where she'll be with the UN, U.S. women's national team, uh, along with teammates Megan Rapino and Rose Savelle. Uh, Cook has been playing with Paris Saint Germain. I don't know how to say that. I think it's Germain. It's not German because there's an I in there. If you you know who PSG is, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, In the French D1 feminine uh, for the last three seasons, she's had a lot of time to learn over in France. Uh, She chose to forego the 2019 NWSL college draft and head straight to France out of college, uh, where she signed a PSG to a three-year deal in January of 2019. Uh, So, again, the acquisitions continue and continue with the rain here. it's, it's more so about how this all comes into place. Um, it's like, it's great that you sign all these players, right? It's just how you and the front office will put them all together to make this big, uh, how you put all the components together to make this machine and making sure that machine runs well. Uh, the team record, they now sit at, I believe it's one, one, and two. I want to make sure on that. Um, <laughs> what oh yes okay i'm sorry uh one one and two yes one win one draw two losses uh they now stand at eighth in the league with four points uh and they will wait uh till june 19th at the north carolina courage for their next match as they have an international break here as well uh no seattle supersonics news no seattle dragons news uh, in uh, in college athletics news, uh, college athletes will be able to profit off of a new Twitter deal. Uh, a new partnership will allow college athletes to earn money from video content that is posted on Twitter. That's kind of interesting. Um, I, I, that's all as far as I know, but that's interesting to see as well as the different legislatures and uh, bills and such that have been talked about uh, in relation to paying athletes. Uh, collegiately. Uh, you know, football, the Huskies landed three-star O'Day High School lineman Mark Naboo. He's part of the 2022 class, uh, second from that class, uh, out of a stacked offensive line group in the state of Washington. My throat's getting dry. Goodness gracious. Um, baseball recap. 
so season recap for the baseball team. Uh, their end of season record was 20 and 30. Their conference record was a miserable six and 21. They were end of the, they were last in the pac 12 uh, MVP infielder, Will Simpson. He was a redshirt freshman with a 310 average, 881 OPS. Started all 45 games, 26 runs, 40, 52 hits, nine doubles, one triple, seven homers, 35 RBIs, a 500 slugging percentage, even 22 walks and three stolen bases. So some hope there in Will Simpson um, as a younger guy having a really good year. Their ace was Tyson Guerrero, who was a redshirt sophomore with 2.96 ERA, could use some work, but not horrible, with a 1.24 WHIP, uh, three and three in record and 11 starts under class of the year. Has to go to Will Simpson. Easy. Uh, game of the year, eight and six, eight to six win over then number 10 ranked UCLA. Kind of surprised they did that. Uh, I remember reading that uh, the week it happened and being really genuinely surprised. So, uh, players to watch going into the next year, I'd have to say Will Simpson and uh, infielder Michael Snyder. Those were two guys that uh, made, made some noise on a team that was generally not that good. Um, and then end of season, Braden Ward named to Pac-12 All-Defensive Team. He played in 50 games in the field, uh, three outfield assists with a nine, no, a .989 fielding percentage out in center field. Uh, Braden was a senior this year, so uh, a big thanks to Braden for all his contributions to the uh, UW baseball program. He was a great on the base pass. He had a lot of stolen bases. Um, so interested to see where he goes from here. Uh, softball. Um, All right, this is going to be something new. I haven't really usually usually on the podcast. It's been I'll, I'll be the one who does the UW stuff, and Bennett and Omari will take the back seat just because both of them are not UW guys. But uh, this is something that I've kind of wanted to do. Uh, somebody here who has been involved with the softball team and was down in Norman uh, for the two games down there in Oklahoma. I can only imagine uh, what the weather was like down there. Sounded adventurous. But uh, excited to welcome on Anthony Edwards onto the show here uh, for the softball segment. I want to say hello. How you doing? And uh, how, how was your trip down there? I know I kind of saw a little bit of it, but how was the whole experience, I guess, obviously not getting the result that we wanted? Yeah, well, it was uh, fun to uh, travel down um, to Norman with the uh, UW Daily. Um, and I uh, wasn't there for too long, but, you know, I got to do the whole Oklahoma experience, went to Waffle House, uh, got some barbecue, watched some softball. So, you know, can't really complain. Nice little break before doing some finals. Yeah. And, you know, finals, not obviously the greatest thing in the world, but we're pushing through. We're, we're getting pretty close there. But uh, to speak on the incredible team that we saw this year, uh, finally doing a season recap. I apologize for being late on that. Um, so looking at end of season record, ended up with a 45 and 14 record, an 18 and five conference record, obviously ended the season, uh, in super regionals against Oklahoma, Oklahoma, I believe beat JMU last game I saw. Um, yeah, they got well, one more today. It just started actually. Oh, today. shoot. Well, there you go. Um, oh, wow. JMU just hit a home run. Look at the timing. Kind of, uh, interested to see another team in purple, uh, hopefully get some success they're really cool to see jmu's journey too and even to tie in with the show when the the mariners i think you saw it when the mariners posted the thing with will vest uh that was similar to the jmu play oh, yeah that was pretty cool yeah, uh, that was 
Pokemon. One team won and one team lost. And we can guess who lost. <laughs> uh, getting into the season recap, uh, it, it's hard to really put you know, labels on some of these things and say who's more valuable. Cause you know, if, if I look at the softball team, there's so many people who contributed to the success of this team up and down the roster. Um, but just sort of to pick and highlight some of these players. Um, if I had to make you pick an MVP of the season uh, and I'm going to say non-pitcher related, because obviously there's a certain pitcher that we could talk about, but I have an ace slot here and we'll talk about ace in a second, but outside of pitching, is there uh, a woman on this team that you would highlight as somebody, I guess, who you would spotlight as an MVP? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, it's no question. Uh, Bailey Klingler, uh, junior uh, infielder was definitely probably the most valuable player this year for UW. Uh, She was just consistent all the way around, uh, batted like in the 420s, I think, something around there, which is pretty much like off the charts. Uh, definitely UW's uh, most consistent person at the plate. Uh, you know, she smacked like, I think almost 20 home runs. Uh, so she had power and always got on base at least like once a game, it seemed like, um, and really just kind of brought a spark to the team. Uh, Cause last year she, she came over as a transfer um, after her freshman year at Texas A&M and then only got to play a little bit last year with the shortened season. But yeah, she definitely was the MVP in my opinion. Yeah. I have to agree with you there. Obviously, you know, at shortstop over there next door, you could look at Sis Bates with, you know, her defensive play, but uh, Bailey Klingler, when we were doing the weekly show, it's like, you know, I look at the player of the game for each game, her name showed up a ton and, you know, to, to touch on what you were mentioning, 416 average over the season, 1.299 OPS, Started all but one game, 56 runs, 72 hits, 17 doubles, 16 homers, uh, 53 RBIs, 130, 137 total bases, uh, a .792 slugging percentage, which is pretty damn good, uh, 25 walks, a .507 on base percentage, and six stolen bases. Uh, and then on the defensive end of the ball, uh, with a .957 fielding percentage and 63 putouts, Bailey Klingler was really, you know, like you were saying, all over uh, – all over the stat book and all over just the field in general. Um, someone just, they're really stuck out and excited to, I mean, see her next year. It's, it's uh, obviously there are some big losses and I will mention that here in a little bit, but um, she'll be somebody that, you know, will be another anchor in the infield. I really think. Um, and like you were saying to have a, you know, somebody that transferred over and didn't necessarily get too much time last year. Uh, really popped out this year, and I think it's uh, pretty obvious uh, how she did that. Uh, getting into Ace here, I don't think it's any secret who this is going to be. Um, but can you can you speak on Gabby Plain, and can you put any words into the the greatness that she was able to achieve this season? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, obviously, it kind of became uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, it became kind of obvious that um, if Washington was going to win uh, the Women's College World Series, uh, Gabby Plain was going to have to be out of her mind for about four weeks in a row, um, which is, I mean, I mean, I guess it was maybe possible, but in this day and age of softball, you kind of need two pitchers um, to win it all. 
uh, as evident as anybody has watched the World Series right now. But, um, I mean, UW had good bats, but really Gabby Plain kind of carried the team this year. Um, and I think she really she kind of shined through too, especially when she had to pitch, you know, two or three games. I mean, a lot of times she was pitching three games per weekend near the end of the year, uh, three of the four. And it was like, you know, one game she'd start off pretty really dominant. Um, and then when the team sees her a second time, you know, they'd figure things out a little bit, but somehow she'd still be able to do enough um, for the team to get the win. And then uh, sometimes she'd even bounce back and have a better third game too. So it was uh, pretty crazy to see her being able to uh, just attack hitters uh, and, you know, straight out dominate uh, everybody she faced pretty much. And I mean, Oklahoma uh, kind of was her downfall there at the end, but she had just absolutely carried the team through regionals. So, uh, no, at no fault of her own that you don't lost, but, you know, she was uh, extraordinary. And so next year, uh, they will need someone next to her, but I think she'll be able to help them out again in a big way. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, do you think that perhaps puts some pressure on some of the pitching staff next year to sort of be a compliment to her? Because, like you were saying, she was pitching, you know, multiple games over a series, you know, towards the end of the season and obviously having to come out multiple times uh, in regionals and super regionals. So do you think that sort of says, Hey, we need somebody almost to step up or is it uh, more so, you know, we're going into next season and it's like, all right, you know, it's time to, I mean, you're going to lose some big pieces and uh, Sus Bates and Morgan Flores uh, among other people, you know, Kaya Gibson, uh, Taryn Atley and Noel. Uh, is Noel he leaving? I don't think. Yeah, not decided yet, but probably. not decided. Okay, so potentially, um, but I mean, I, I think you understand what I'm saying. Do you think there's pressure uh, to be a compliment to to Gabby next year? Yeah, I mean, um, I think uh, Coach Tar, uh, Coach Heather Tar, head coach, uh, hit on this a few times throughout the season that uh, she kind of at first, um, sorry, skip, skipping back towards non-conference play. Um, Washington didn't really schedule um, a ton of top teams uh, just because of COVID. I don't think they really wanted to travel to the East Coast, um, play like SEC schools. Like they normally play a ton of top tier teams uh, in non-conference play uh, mm-hmm. because they were trying to be, you know, COVID aware, um, be safe. And last season, actually, uh, Tar used Kelly Lynch a lot against those top teams, kind of split her and Gabby playing. Um, but this year her thought was, you know, I think she was thinking, you know, a a loss against one of those teams is a bigger factor than a win against one of those teams. Like, Mm. you know, I mean, it's kind of weird to say it like that, but you know, if you, I get what it, yeah. 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 So, you know, you can't really lose against a team like, uh, like San Diego or something like that, just because, um, I mean, they only had like two losses, I think, in non-conference players like Nevada and San Diego State or something, and uh, and those weren't playing starts. But yeah, I think. She, and then going back, I mean, asking her throughout the season, like, oh, do you regret, you know, not pitching your uh, your younger pitchers during that time? And, you know, I think she would say yes now because, I mean, obviously, uh, they wish they would have had a second pitcher um, with Gabby. But besides that, I mean. I think, you know, you can't really question a coach that's coached for 17 years, won a national championship, all that stuff. So um, 
I think next year, obviously, she'll probably do it a little bit different. Her arm, her arms will be a little bit older. Um, you know, maybe they'll. Uh, I mean, Kelly Lynch was good last year in a circle. Maybe she'll go back out there again and uh, be a little bit better in uh, 2022. Uh, but they have, you know, a number of arms that are capable and that are different. Uh, so, you know, yes, they'll need somebody next to Gabby playing uh, to answer your question. Uh, and I think that they'll do a just a fine job in finding someone that can do that because they do have a lot of talent there. So then definitely uh, I do have a players to watch next season. Kelly went, Kelly Lynch was in there. So definitely I think even as you, as you, you know, spoke on it, I think Kelly Lynch is somebody extra to look at potentially uh, in the circle there. Um, but to get to the next spot, uh, underclass player of the year, somebody, you know, not necessarily a junior, uh, first two years. I have a person for this. I'm interested to see, uh, what your thoughts would be, uh, for, you mm-hmm. know, freshman, sophomore, um, for underclass player of the year. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, um, I think they only have like two qualified players or whatever. I can't remember what the threshold is or whatever, like averaging like two plate appearances a game or something like that mm-hmm. um, but I think there was only like two uh underclass players that actually qualified for that uh Kelly Lynch and then I think Jayla Melchin mm-hmm. uh, and they kind of used a variety um in the uh, right field these variety of players out there um, but besides that I mean towards the end of the season they're playing you know second base third base um catcher all graduated uh, and so then you've got third base uh, and left field. They've also got upperclassmen. So really they didn't play too many underclassmen consistently. So really it's kind of, kind of comes down to uh, Jalen Alchin, Kelly Lynch. Uh, I mean, Jalen Alchin had a tough year, just uh, was in and out of the lineup uh, for the first like two months with uh, some little injuries and uh, other reasons that she was gone uh, two from the lineup, but then when she was in, she was playing really well, uh, batted like 300, uh, you know, great defense in center field. So, I mean, going forward, she's a key piece for them uh, in the future, uh, really rounded at the bottom of the lineup, you know, had a couple big hits, uh, you know, of course she committed a tough air in the super reach or super regionals in Oklahoma that, you know, maybe lost you to the game, game one against Oklahoma, but uh, you know, everyone commits an error at some point, just her seven to be at the wrong time. But besides that, I mean, she was a great piece for them. And I think that's probably the undergrad player of the year. Uh, maybe draw a few more walks next year, a little bit uh, more, you know, but that might be not her fault just because she's out of the lineup, you know, not seeing as many pitches. So. No. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, to, to address one, yes, it, it, it's almost inevitable to commit an error at some point. Obviously, that was an unlucky spot. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Jalen Alchin somebody that, um, like you said, when she was in the lineup was somebody that, you know, made some noise there. 301 average, uh, 907 OPS, 22 runs, 31 hits, six doubles, and triple, uh, six homers, 24 RBIs, a 553 slugging percentage, the eight walks, something, as you said, to note, uh, 354 on base percentage and three stolen bases. Uh, like you said, like you said, this wasn't necessarily a lineup that saw a lot of the younger players, um, but I think going into next year, she'll be somebody to to note and hopefully not have to worry. Or I, I say that, but you know, obviously injuries aren't something you can always control. Um, somebody to watch and somebody that I think will have a, a greater impact um, 
next year and somebody, yeah, like I said, somebody to watch. Uh, game of the year, if you had to pick one out of the long slate that we had over this past year, um, I know that there were some some ones in the postseason that I'm sure might uh, go through your mind, but is there any game that you saw, you know, throughout the year that uh, really – you know, you could stick a, a pin in and say this was a game that was really all uh, all around or one that just really uh, was a centerpiece for the season. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I think if you have a recency, I mean, not even recency bias, like clearly the best game of the year was uh, the regional game against Michigan where they trailed by four runs and then scored nine unanswered to win 10-5 and send them to Super Regionals. But um, besides that, I don't know how many people were watching early in the season, but uh, – First Pac-12 series of the year um, at home against Arizona. That one was really affected by weather. Uh, actually only got two of the four games in. Yep. But there was one game that they played was over the course of two days because it got to the sixth inning, uh, canceled. The rain came down, three-hour rain delay. Uh, came back the next day. I think they were winning like 1-0. And then they tried to pitch Gabby playing again. Gave up a home run to, uh, I think it was Mulipola from Arizona. She's like one of the best catchers in the nation. I think she might be graduating actually, but uh, anyway, then UW came back, Bailey Klingler, I think it was like a walk-off or whatever, and then they won 2-1, swept the two games against Arizona, but that was probably the game of the conference season in my opinion. And it's, I mean, we could we could sit here and get into the, uh, <laughs> get into the decision committee and, the, you know, the, the seating there, but uh, looking at the Pac-12, Pac-12 is such a obviously historically great conference for softball as well. Uh, but I mean, it showed again this year with so many teams obviously getting into the tournament. Uh, so conference play was something that was big. Uh, and like you were saying, to touch back earlier, I'm not playing some of the teams uh, further away. Um, but yet yeah, that Michigan game, I remember just staying up for both of those, having them put on the TV. I was like, man, this is this is interesting, you know, and just it just continued. Um, so it was fun to see that happen. But, yeah, I mean, when you're playing in a conference like the Pac-12, you're going to get some games that are really tough and um, some ones that, you know, you'll be really happy to to walk out of that opposing team's ballpark and get home. Uh, and to go back to it, well, the 18-5 and five conference record, that's pretty damn good um, considering the, the Pac-12. Uh, so getting into departing players, uh, like we've touched on before and I even mentioned, uh, you know, losing your catcher and Morgan Flores, uh, Troy Stops is paid somebody who, as they mentioned several times on the regional and super regional broadcasts, who probably should have won a national defensive player of the year award, but that's not a thing. Uh, Kaya Gibson, Taryn Atley, and Noel, he's undecided. So, uh, who do you think can step up in sort of some of those roles? I mean, obviously, catcher plays such a big role, um as well as shortstop. So, I mean, uh, what do you think about sort of the holes that those players are leaving? And uh, as well as, can you touch on the impact that uh, those women left on the program and just the season as a whole? Yeah, well, I mean, you've got a whole bunch of players there that are, you know, tremendous impact uh, to just UW softball as a whole. They've been there for half a decade now uh so it's hard to replace somebody like morgan flores behind the dish who's actually been here for six years because she had mm -hmm. an acl there uh so spades 
at shortstop, best defensive shortstop in the nation for a number of years, and as well as a consistent uh, bat too. And then you've got Kaya Gibson, who is probably one of the kindest players uh, you could have in the locker room and just also was uh, pretty, I mean, she was a utility player on the field, played everywhere. And then, you know, they, they've got Tara Natley too, transferred after her freshman year and locked down second base for uh, four seasons, I guess now. So uh, those are, that's a collection of players that, you know, you're never going to get that much success out of a recruiting class. I mean, I guess it wasn't really one recruiting class there, um, but your departing class is never really going to have that much impact as those players did. So replacing them, you know, you're not going to plug in one player for each spot and get the same production just because that doesn't happen. But I mean, UW softball has not have a recruiting problem. Kinsey Fielder is coming in. Uh, you know, I don't really know softball recruiting. It's not that big of a thing compared to, you know, football, basketball, where there's all these clips of these players and people can talk about them for days. But uh, the UW softball thinks she's going to be uh, Cispace's replacement at short. So uh, they'll probably be fine there. They have uh, their other backup catcher, Emma Helm, uh, graduated this year, so she won't be playing. But they do have Jen Cummings, who went to Redmond High School, actually same high school as Kaya Gibson and Heather Tarr. Uh, she'll be playing catcher. And the few at-bats she had this year, she played well. So uh, they'll probably be fine at catcher. You know, going to need a second one. But actually, Bailey Klingler played a couple of games at catcher, so maybe they'll try to experiment <laughs> with her back there. They actually, uh, they actually did that with uh, Alabama, uh, did that with their um, – Bailey Hemphill, I don't know if you've been watching the Women's College World Series, but she was an SEC player of the year, I think, like twice oh. or three times an hour or something. And uh, I think she was just the designated player for them, or, or, or first base or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a strong girl, but they put her back behind uh, the dish at this year, and so that's where she's been playing. So maybe U-double experiment putting Klingler back there. Hmm. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do, but they got people there. Uh and then also, you know, and finding someone to consistently play right field would probably be a big thing for them. Maybe it'll be more matchup. But, you know, overall, I think that they might not start as strong, but by the end of the year, um, you know, there it's always this process to figure out who's going to play. And you saw it this year, too, which is how they, you know, some people went in and out of the lineup. But they'll, they'll, they'll have success. So, uh I mean, they've got a lot of talent there. Big team with the COVID rules. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, like you said, um, you, with players like Sis uh, Bates and Morgan Flores, you can't just put somebody in there the next year and say, all right, replicate that success. That's not going to happen. Uh, it'd be unprecedented if it did. And, I mean, I'd be happy to be proved wrong if it did. But, you know, um, yeah, that is something to, to note. Uh, like you're saying, uh, with – maybe throw in Bailey Klingler back there. Um, but that is something that I was uh, sort of curious about uh, going into the next season was right field and sort of seeing maybe more consistency there. Obviously that's something that has to be figured out and well, more than likely we'll see change throughout the season itself because it's a long season. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you look at the departing class and at least the ones that are confirmed, you know, they've obviously got somebody who's not, uh, undecided and that's a decision that has to be made um but it will be tough but i do think uh like you were saying there's 
I have seen that there are some uh, girls coming in that will have an impact or should, obviously that has to be seen first. Um, but it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see a lot of things to sort of look at. And I'm excited, but I know that we're going to have to wait for a bit there um, before we get back to that, uh, before we get back to UW softball. Um, and then, so do you have anybody that you're really looking at going into next season? I know we've talked about a few uh, with Jalen Alchin uh, and Kelly Lynch there potentially in the circle. Um, but I, I, at least, at least with me, I saw Sarah Willis had some good games there. Um, who, who, who would you look at to maybe have a sort of a breakout year almost, or to, almost repeat success or bounce back uh, going into this next season? Yeah, well, I mean, coming into this year, kind of what I said was that uh, the team will go as far as, like, Bailey Klingler will take them, um, which was partially true because she had one hell of a year. Um, just, you know, kind of like Gabby playing, she just couldn't carry the whole lineup. Uh, and then all of a sudden, when they played Oklahoma, I don't even think she had a single hit that whole series. So, um you know, everyone's going to have a down game, but Bailey Klingler is a big key for next year too. Um, but obviously she's already broken out, um, you know, has potential to be first team All-American next year. Um, besides that, you know, uh, Sammy Reynolds is big key. So those are like the two bats um, that are, that are going to carry UW. But for breakout candidate, you know, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, I think anybody that, pitches remotely close to well in the circle besides Gabby playing will be considered a breakout because they really didn't have that this year. Um, Pat Moore is gone. She kind of became the second pitcher at the end of the year. Uh, so, you know, I think Sarah Willis probably has the best potential. I think those, she goes pretty hard. Uh, and then she has a nice chain, like two different changeups that she throws. Um, so she could be big there, maybe not playing right field. But they got to find another slap hitter, kind of like Sis Bates was, you know, always a threat to get off the base with her legs. Uh, I mm -hmm. think that first could be Lily Egan, who played right field a lot, uh, kind of in the like second month of the season. And then, you know, didn't really have any impacts later on. She was only a freshman this year, but she slaps and so she could be pretty good. Uh, you know, that might be, you know, might not be a breakout candidate, but there's anyone that might replicate kind of Sis Bates' effect on offense, it might be her. Yeah, and I mean, uh, to touch back on it, have to recognize Pat Moore and uh, her performance in the regional spot there. But um, yeah, it will be interesting to see. I think I think you said it best when you said that uh, whoever really shows up to be another option uh, in the circle for the Huskies is going to be somebody that you could consider to be a breakout just because, you know, as we've been mm -hmm. talking about, hasn't necessarily been somebody that, – that, that wasn't something that we saw. Um, so it'll be, there'll be a couple, there's going to be a lot of things to watch next year. Obviously going to be grateful to have another year of Gabby Plain. Um, mm -hmm. But there will be some, some questions to be answered and it'll be interesting to see uh, how coach Heather Tarr uh, and the coaching staff, as well as just the program in general, uh, will be able to answer those questions uh, going into next season. So. Yeah. I do think that the uh, one thing that Washington will need to do, to kind of get over their hump of, I mean, they, they've gotten so close to another national championship, um, but they haven't had to deal with, you know, they, they were able to have two pitchers, um, Gabby Plain and 
uh, Terranel Velo for two seasons where they got super close. Um, you know, they're going to need that second pitcher, but also they're going to need more depth with their lineup because whenever the postseason hits, it seems like, you know, only really four players or something top of their lineup can produce. Mm -hmm. um, so they might not have to have, you know, someone that can hit 400, you know, even if everyone on the team bats around like 300, that's a little bit better just because it shows that there's not like a big hole in the line where yeah. opposing pitcher kind of just settle down. You know, they always have to be on. It's kind of a mental challenge too when everybody's a threat. So if they can get uh, a little bit more well-rounded through their lineup, um, I mean, they kind of had signs of that this year, you know, some power. Uh, but I think I think the big thing is just getting on base is big. So um, they're going to need a little bit more of that. And, you know, I think that, that has a possibility of happening. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, when you talk about whether it's baseball or softball, if, if you've got holes in the lineup, they will more than likely show up uh, at some point in the postseason. I know that both of us know some things about holes in the Mariners uh, lineup, but, you know, um, yeah, that, that that's a good point. I mean, when you think about it, you don't really want to, when you get to that postseason, you get to play tough teams, you know, like in Oklahoma, like a UCLA, you're, if you've got a lineup that's consistent, you know, top to bottom, um, that's going to help you. Uh, so that is a, that's something to good to note. Sort of off the what I've been doing here. Do you have any favorite moments, you know, personally throughout the season here? I know it's uh, good to get back into sort of a semi-normal season after you know what we had to deal with in 2020. Um, but what what for you? Uh, what memories will you carry on from this season? Um, whether it's, you know, traveling down to Norman or going, staying up late uh, for the regional games, what sort of things will you, you take on uh, from the, the season this year? Yeah, well, I mean, that was obviously the first time I, um, I mean, well, this is my second year writing for the daily. So uh, last season kind of cut short. So I did have trouble with them. And then, sorry, uh, football, uh, I didn't need to travel with just because all their four home games ended up all their four games ended up being at home. So <laughs> traveling was uh, a fun time. Um, you know, excited to go to Ann Arbor for UW Michigan. Uh, that's probably going to be a hot topic for you guys uh, this fall. If you keep yeah. doing your show. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think my favorite moment <clears throat> will still be kind of watching uh, them come back against Michigan uh, late at night. You know, they lose against Michigan and then, realized they have to win four games in a row if they want to advance to super regionals so they kind of just found another gear uh but i mean gabby played kind of one heck of a game that day uh even though she gave up i think it was four or four of the five runs were earned can't remember exactly but she really locked down and just being able to retire there was a single but it was 15 batters she faced and she got 15 outs and one of them was a double play but it's just like how do you do that after throwing 300 <laughs> 82 pitches I think it was on the weekend like you know that's uh, an impressive performance so uh, I'll be excited to watch her in the Olympics if she makes the final cut on their roster and you know if on the Australian national team it's hard to not invite her to the stage when she does something like that so that'll be fun to watch hopefully the Olympics happen uh seems like it's tracking there I know the Australian national team's already there but Everybody should be a Gabby Plain fan this summer in the Olympics because she's pretty cool. So, and 
you know, to that point, there are a lot of, uh, well, not a lot necessarily, but there's some other uh, former Huskies to note with uh, Team Canada having obviously Daniel Laurie and uh, Jen Sailing. And I, oh, there's somebody else I'm forgetting. Yeah, Ali Aguilar is on the USA mm-hmm. national. So there's, if, if you're a fan of the Olympics, you don't necessarily, and if you're a fan of the Olympics and you're a Husky, you don't necessarily have to just root for US. There's a lot of, uh, mm-hmm. There's some Huskies out there and uh, representing different flags. Um, so that will be something to remember. But, uh, it, yeah, I mean, watching this team and uh, continue, watching it throughout the season and seeing uh, just the scores, it was, it was fun to sort of see uh, Bennett on the show. Uh, he's a uh, Portland pilot, so, he, you know, no stake in the Huskies. But it was kind of funny mm-hmm. to see his reaction as Gabby Plain's record just continued and the, the softball team success just continued. So uh, sort of cool thing I wanted to do. Um, I hope you enjoyed coming on. I know you've yeah, thank uh, you. mentioned coming on. So Well, mentioned, you know, uh, being a fan of the show, so I appreciate it, you know. But uh, it was something that I sort of wanted to do because I have to admit I'm not obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not on top of everything with softball. Uh, so it was cool to sort of get your insight and see the things that you saw throughout the season um and excited obviously for next year but interested to see obviously what sort of things the team will need to address and how they'll address them so uh if there's anything you want to leave with uh please do so uh, obviously the daily is something that i will have to link in the description of this week's episode but um if there's anything you want to touch on or leave uh feel free yeah well i mean um obviously you know circling style sports is uh good thing you know there's not just the i mean i don't know if i can cuss but the you know trash mariners or whatever you know uh, <laughs> the hawks always kind of a kind of a frustrating team uh a lot of good teams out there to you know take a uh, note of so you know softball is one of those you know ol ring uh i will say i haven't watched enough soccer this year but uh those are those are fun team to track they got some big names there so yeah a lot of fun teams around and if you uh, have time this week, Women's College World Series finals start tomorrow. So we'll see who's in that. Uh, should be, I mean, best of three series. So it could be two days, could be three. That will be a fun one to watch. So everybody should watch that. ESPN give those uh, women some the views they deserve. And so maybe there can be another game on ABC like there was this year. Do you do you have a, a prediction for your winner this year? Or is it kind of, is that tough to sort of pick in and outright just because of the, the competition? I mean, we've seen. Uh, over the past few days yeah i mean you gotta let me check the score of the game right now but you know uh not, no it's not that you haven't but you know i haven't seen the score the game going on right now actually but uh <clears throat> i think oklahoma will pull it off uh alabama will probably pull it off so it's gonna be a showdown with uh, alabama's montana fouts and oklahoma uh oklahoma offense and so uh pitching always rules so i gotta go with alabama they got uh, Lexi Kilfoyles, their second pitcher, Montana Faust, two perfect game against UCLA, number one ace. So uh, thanks for being family. JMU is still leading by that one run in the top of the third. Obviously, there's some innings to go, but uh, if JMU pulls it off, I don't know, man. That's <laughs> hey, Cinderella. You know, always got to root for them. Cinderella right now, but no, it's uh, it, it's been fun to see this the show grow from you know doing weekly uh, Seahawks stuff to obviously incorporating. You know, the Mariners and the Sounders. Sounders had some difficult ties over the past two games and are dealing with international break. 
Um, but the rain have been really fun. And like you said, some big names there and they just signed uh, Alana Cook as a defender. Um, by the time this is out, we'll already have talked about that. Um, the rain have some pieces. They've got some pieces. It's just, it kind of goes back to softball. It's like, how are we, as, as a, if you're in that coaching position, how am I going to take all these pieces I have and make them a puzzle? Or, or you know, how am I going to have these components, you know, uh, become a working machine? So that's, that's, I guess it's a good problem to have, you know, but it's like, you know, if you don't figure it out the right way, it could be a bad problem. Um, baseball had a difficult season. Um, interest, really excited for football. I mean, talked with Kate Ott and that was fun. Talked with Race Porter. Uh, Ann Arbor yeah, will be yeah, interesting. I know uh, Race Porter is doing some cool. Uh, he has a cool business for mental health. So. Oh yeah, you're one of our partners. Um, yeah, cool. uh, I am upset though that we won't get the Michigan home game. I did really want that. <laughs> oh yeah, that's tough. You know, uh, maybe they'll reschedule that for the future. But you know, football could be like a century out. So yeah. Uh, so that and um, yeah, I know. I think it's funny. Like, you know, they got. I mean, I don't know if this segment's going in my clip or whatever, but we're just chatting. But it's oh no, yeah, this is part of it. You can you can go you can schedule a game, and I, I think they announced Ohio State. I don't even know what they did. I think they have Ohio State on the future schedule. Like I think it's like so. a decade out or like twenty twenty eight, and then you can go COVID season schedule Utah in four days. It's like crazy. I mean, you know, you got to set up this future opponent somehow. But yeah, everyone likes those big headline games. So maybe they can get that Michigan one back in Husky Stadium because that's something that is. Uh, I mean that stadium deserves a show showcase like that. Yeah, no, that's. Uh, I think you're right. Now I got to worry about Ohio State in the future. <laughs> oh, yeah. but yeah. they'll have a JT Tui my little hour, whatever. So he's gonna probably not go to UW. So. Yeah, still interested. Actually, to see. I don't know when he announces. It's literally yeah. crazy. Like they schedule these games, and it's gonna be like nine year olds gonna be playing in those. <laughs> you got a good point um but no definitely uh excited to see where the show is now and excited to continue to improve and add different things and this is one of those different things so um we'll more than likely ask to see if you want to come on for more uw sports but i think right now we're sort of hitting a dry spell yep. um i break they actually just announced uw athletics announced that um 80 Eight percent of the athletes, student athletes, have received a dose of vaccine. Eighty percent fully vaccinated, so should be a pretty normal fall for UW athletics. So. There you go. They, uh, the Mariners could take a great lesson from that. You know, and I hope uh, they fucking do. Knocking on uh, Kendall Graveman's door. Tomorrow. Oh God, so. don't get me started. Well, I already swore on there, so I have to turn the explicit rating on for this episode. So, God, but yeah, no, uh, God, now I'm upset. Um. But yeah, no, I appreciate having you on and, uh, you know, I, I, there's some good things, I think, uh, looking forward into the, the future for the, well, the future, going into next year uh, for our UW yeah. athletics. And uh, it's always good to be a Husky. So I want to thank you for coming on and taking time out of your day through finals. And I, uh, I wish you the best of luck. Um, thank you. You too. Going on. Okay. Uh, end of season awards. Uh, Gabby Plain won. Pac-12 Pitcher of the Year, Collegiate Player of the Year finalist, and NFCA All-American first team, which isn't a surprise for Gabby Plain. Uh, and it'll be great to have her back next year, Bennett. So I'll have to get you tickets to see her in person. Oh. Uh, Sis Bates, who we will not see next year. 
uh, second team All American, and then Bailey Klingler, uh, first team All American. She will be back. Um, just a, a great year for softball. I know that not the result that we wanted, um, but it was still uh, fun year regardless. Uh, men's soccer team recap: uh, twelve and four record overall, seven and three in the conference. Uh, lost in number two Pittsburgh in quarterfinals of the NCAA Division One tournament. Uh, MVP uh, had to be Dylan Tevez uh, Jr. Fourteen starts, seven goals, five assists, thirty-seven shots, eighteen on goal, and four game winners. Uh, Defensive Player of the Year: Charlie Ostrom Jr. Sixteen starts, eleven assists, thirteen points, no penalties allowed or given. Uh, underclassman of the year, Nick Scardina at sophomore, 13 games, 10 starts, 6 goals, 12 points total, 14 shots, and 7 on goal. Game of the year had to be number one, uh, number one, uh, the 1 0 win versus number two Stanford on March 20th. You, know, you come in and beat Stanford, uh, ranked number two. That's pretty damn good. Uh, players to watch next year have to be Nick Scardina, Christian Soto, Kendall Burks, Ken- Dylan Tevez, and Charlie Ostrom. Uh, end of season awards for the men's soccer team. Uh, Charlie Ostrom won all region first team by United Soccer Coaches. Uh, 2021 Arthur Ashe Jr. Sports Scholar first team, third team All American and Scholar All American. Whoa, All American. Uh, Dylan Tevis won all region first team. Uh, 2021 Arthur Ashe Jr. Sports Scholar first team, first team All American, Scholar All American. Uh, Kendall Burks won all region second team uh, and Scholar All American. Lucas Meeks won. All region second team and scholar all American. And then women's soccer, which will be our last thing of the episode. Uh, they went 10, 4, and 4 overall with the 5, 3, and 3 in the conference. Uh, lost in number two, North Carolina, in the third round of the tournament. MVP, Summer Yates at junior, 16 starts, four goals, four assists with 12 total points, 39 shots, 12 shots on goal, and three game winners. Defensive player of the year, goalkeeper Olivia Sakani, redshirt junior. Uh, 17 starts, 31 saves, and a .738 save percentage. Underclass Player of the Year, Margot Clark, redshirt freshman, 18 games played, two starts, one goal, one assist, three total points, uh, 16 shots, seven on goal. Kind of a limited sample size, but uh, more than likely we'll get some more playing time this upcoming season. Game of the Year, 4-3 win on penalty kicks in the second round versus number 15 ranked St. Louis. Um Players to watch next season, Margot Clark, Summer Yates, Carly Stuckel, and Olivia Sipani. Uh, end of season awards, Summer Yates won All-Region first team and All-American second team. Kayleen Pang won All-Region second team and Scholar All-Region. Uh, Amira Hassan won All-Region second team. And Olivia Vanderjack won Scholar All-Region. So, <sighs> that's a lot. This is more than likely going to be one of the longer episodes we've ever had. Um... But again, as I continue to say week in and week out, there's a lot of stuff to go over. Um, go sports. Yeah. Go sports, indeed. So, oop. ouch. I'm not going to say anything long just because I don't need to. And we've already talked about everything. Uh, we'll continue to have more Mariners games. Uh, Sounders on international break, so not for a little bit. Uh, but Sanders and Rain on international break. Uh, Seahawks might hear some stuff. Probably not too much, really. Uh, Storm will have a full slate of games. Uh, UW Sports is really kind of slowing down. Uh, Kraken, we might hear some stuff. But outside of that, we might get a slower week next week, Bennett. Let's go. Uh, 
Omari, Bennett, anything we want to say? I know it's kind of late, so we probably want to wrap this up. Um, thank you guys for listening. Omari, are you awake? Oh my god, I think he fell asleep on recording. Well, we wish Omari a 99 night time. And we thank anybody that's made it all the way through. Uh, this has been episode 50. Nope, episode 75. We will be back on Tuesday the 15th for episode 77. I want to say thank you and everybody say good night, Omari. Good night, Omari. Baba Bowie.